Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to a very special edition of the Empire Podcast. We are going to be discussing the 100 greatest movies of the 21st century, brackets, so far. Oh yes, because we are now in 2020, we're all experiencing 2020 vision. So we decided to use that vision to look back at the previous two decades and make a very special edition of Empire Magazine, the world's greatest magazine. In fact, the world's greatest movie magazine and world's greatest magazine. I'm going to say, I'm going to put it out there. Screw you, Fanity Fair. We're the world's greatest magazine. And uh, it is now available in all good and evil news agents. And we are counting down the 100 greatest movies of the 21st century so far, because there's 80 years of the century to go. But it seems like a good time to do this now. And uh, we canvassed readers, critics. But we'll get to that in a second. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Joining me to discuss 100 greatest movies of the 21st century so far are three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Our editor-in-chief is here. Bow your heads, avert your eyes. It is Terry White. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, the raw authority, the power. Isn't that what mighty leaders sound like? Hey, can you just kill that man? (laughs) Yes. It was a bit queenie and blackadder. Well, yeah, she was terrifying. (laughs) Absolutely terrifying. Helen O'Hara is also here, geek queen. Hello. Hello. Good, good, good. And Ben Travis is here as well. Hello. Benjamin Travis, how are you? Benny Blanco from the Bronx. That's me. Is ben. that a Bronx accent? <laughs> Terry, you lived in New York for a while. What was that? <laughs> That's me. That's, That's me. me. <laughs> we've gone we've gone straight to that, have we? Oh dear. Well. His name's out on this list. It should be on this list. Anyway, uh, Terry. I'm going to come to you first because what we're going to do is we're going to count down from 100 to 1. We're going to race through because this, you know, this is otherwise going to be a four-hour podcast. We're going to <laughs> race through that, a lot Chris. of them. Uh, <laughs> has anyone seen Chris McQuarrie? I think he's yeah. in the corridor outside. Uh, so we're going to count down from 100 to 1. Then we're going to go through some omissions that we think may be glaring or things that we would have put in the list personally had we had our druthers. But Terry... We arrived at this 100 via a complicated system that I frankly don't understand, but it involved readers and critics. Yes. Please Um, explain. So the idea was that we would canvas two sets of very important people, our very own critics, including you. That's me. I'm a critic. You are. I have a badge. You certainly are. And the readers, as you you call them, are... um, Fine people. ...our wonderful audience. That's not what you call them. I mean, no, every day in the office, you're like, those readers are very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. But where it got tricky is we decided to weight it equally because our voice and our opinion is not more important than that of the audience, right? Um, This is a democracy, Chris. Democracy. Please continue. So we came up with a scoring system that I think James Dyer and Nick Dissemlian came up between them and neither of them understood. Um, <laughs> and yet somehow we came up with um, a canonical list of the top 100. Um, we will be publishing the individual critics list and the um, please, reader please list. Please don't. <laughs> yeah, don't remember what I put on mine. Oh, God. And from those two sets of votes, we came up with this glorious mm. list. I mean, I couldn't explain to you, you know, like how on the maths side of it yeah. and neither could anybody involved but it's definitely no. correct I got a few it panicked texts from Nick going I'm not sure how this is working <laughs> but yeah this is where this is what we've arrived at so should we, we should go through it yeah mm. 
We're going to count down from uh, like like Alan Freeman, Bob Biggers. Uh, so in 100, number 100 is Dead Man's Shoes. That's pretty solid, isn't can it? Can I talk about this? Because of course you can. I think I'm the only reason it's on there. So this was my number one. And I'm obviously all the people who voted for it. <laughs> I am going to, but I think my the weight of my number one vote. Hey, hang on a second. You just said that the, everyone's votes are equal. Yes, but the, from the maths perspective, mm-hmm. so number one counts for more than number 20. Okay. So because I put it at number one. <laughs> I don't know what's yeah. happening. <laughs> just go with it. I'm okay. Pro- what have we agreed? I'm right, you're wrong. So... <laughs> Number hundred. It's in my contract. Yeah. It was in my. It was my number one in my list. Is Dead Man's Shoes. Yes. I think. Uh, Great film. Great most film. people know my feelings about um, Shane. I think it's one of Paddy Considine's finest performances. Mm-hmm. Raw, elegaic, traumatic. Everything you want from a Shane Meadows film and more. And um, and Gary Stretch. And the, and don't you think the finest drug scene in any film? from this century. Terry, the strongest thing I've ever had in my life is some Pro Plus while I was uh, trying to stay up late one night at university writing an essay, which, and this may come as a shock to you, was late. Oh my God. (laughs) I know. And did you wear a gas mask too? (laughs) I did, actually. I went up to my my tutor and went, see you? (laughs) (laughs) you. Right there. (laughs) Right Right there. there. Uh, I love this film. This is a fantastic film. I think this is the best, I think for me, it's Shane Meadows' best film. Uh, Paddy Constantine's Probably best performance to put Toby. That's a tough. It's a tough call, Mm. a very tough call. Uh, It put Toby Kebbell on the map as well, Uh, and it is a wonderful, heartbreaking kind of inversion of a slasher movie. Yeah, which is from almost from the killer's perspective. Uh, So if if Halloween had taken place from Michael Myers' perspective and given him anything remotely approaching approaching character development dead man's shoes might be the result mm. although Michael Myers on drugs would be interesting yeah and establishing Shane's palette and the way he shoots films and his kind of just his his very singular visual style of filmmaking it's etched all over this film and I think it's the blueprint for him mm. all right so because I've done these things before and I know that we can linger far too long on the lower reaches of the chart <laughs> and then when we get to the, the top 20 we have like five minutes left I'm going to try and race through as sure. best we can so obviously shout out if it's a film you really really love and you want to say something about it yeah. uh, 99 film 99 is Let the Right One In absolutely fantastic reinvention of the vampire movie love it and interestingly, it came out in the same year as Twilight and True Blood. So this was a year where the, the whole vampire mythos was being sort of um, brought back mm. to life. Um, but this <laughs> is so tonally distinct from any other vampire thing you've ever seen. Yeah. It has such an, a unique approach to that world. Yes, Thomas Alfredson's fantastic movie, Let the Right One In. Uh, number 98, Helen Hi, it's Captain America Civil War. It certainly is. I was on set of this. Have I ever mentioned that? Probably no, not. No, you haven't. You haven't mentioned it. Uh, <laughs> Best day of my life. Was it? Uh... No, it was pretty up there, though. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, this is a fantastic film. I think it does something really unexpected and successful with the superhero genre. Just gets in everybody's heads a little bit. Just gives them a real cause to fight over in a way that the, the equivalent comic book, I don't think, did so mm-hmm. well. And has one of the great action scenes in the air, that airport battle. First MCU movie we gave five stars to. You're damn right. Were you guys surprised at um, this being quite low in the list? I expected it to be top 50. I think I... Martin Scorsese's vote carried <laughs> a lot of weight now, on I th- this one. I would personally put it higher, but I think, um, weirdly, it's not my um, top Captain America film. It tends to be edged out by Winter Soldier for a lot mm. of people. 
I, I can't quite justify why. I just feel like uh, I, Winter Soldier has all that bromance stuff. I haven't it. seen the full list yet, so I'm, these are discoveries as I'm going along, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. So I don't know how many Marvel movies have made the list. Uh, obviously, my personal list had no Marvel movies on it. Obviously because not. Because they're not cinema. <laughs> so let's just see what happens. But yes, 98, Captain America Civil War. Weirdly enough, for me, I would have to say Hand and Heart is probably my favourite MCU movie. So... A little bit surprised it's at 98, but hey-ho, we move on. 97, Ex Machina. Mm, good movie. It is a good movie. 96. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've got to do some that quick, come on. 96, Guardians of the Galaxy. I was on set of this one as well. Fucking hell. <laughs> the film that reinvented Star Wars before Disney reinvented Star Wars. Mm. Yep. But it was also Disney. Whoa. Whoa. Ben with Whoa. the singer. Ben with yeah. the singer. Best Star Wars live action movie since Return of the Jedi, I'm Chris. saying. And for me, I don't know, guys, hand on heart, I would have to say that this is probably my favourite MCU movie. <laughs> oh, I see. This is what we're doing, is it? All right. That's what we're doing. Okay. 95, a prophet. Un prophet, Chris. Oh, for yeah. fuck's sake. 95, un prophet. <laughs> this is an unbelievable film. If you haven't seen it, it is incredible. Jacques Odiar. It's, it's an amazing, yeah. Jacques Odiar story of um, Malik Tahar Rahim's character who basically goes from being a fairly petty criminal when he's uh, when he arrives in prison you can see him he's scared he's he's freaking out he's put in situations he really doesn't want to be in and it gets toughened up really hard mm. really fast um, and comes out in a much worse place than he went in it's an amazing character piece and an amazing look at crime and I think it deserves a bigger audience I think this is the best um, contemporary prison movie like bar none. I think the, the slow burn... How far back are we going here? The courage, I'm going to say the last 20 years. Okay, yeah. that's, that leaves Shawshank out of it. That's <laughs> yeah. fine. Okay. <laughs> are you the guy on the Daily Mail? Um, this is, this, well, Lawrence Fox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have noticed similarities. We can get into that later. The, the social realism, but also, you know, the brutality. The mm. It's very taut. It's, it's less than two, just shy yeah. of two hours, I think. And that paciness, while at the same time being an amazing, essentially slow burn character study, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And it's French. Mon Dieu. Oui. Mon Dieu. Bleu. Oh, my oh word. I'd, I'd like, like to, to apologise. <laughs> hey, why was mine worse than to anybody else's? French listeners, that was absolutely appalling. And please accept as a way of apology these kind words. Oué, the bibliothèque. Uh, 94, Batman Begins. I the, think it might be my personal favourite of the Batman Dark Knight trilogy. It's hard to get around the weight of the Dark Knight, but mm -hmm. this is like it's the ultimate. <laughs> he's, he's, he's pretty chunky, especially in that armour. It's probably the best Bruce Wayne film mm -hmm. I, I think. agree yep. um, and it, it's, it was just uh, just the sheer excitement of Christopher Nolan digging into that character in such a big way and it's cerebral and also still gives you like ninja fights and hallucinogenic flowers and <laughs> like and big limbs and I've said this in the podcast before but that's not going to stop me repeating my old bullshit it's got one of the best twists in modern blockbusters and I genuinely didn't see it coming which mm. is that big Liam was the baddie uh, no! After all, uh, because you thought a that he was dead, but also that he was a goodie. Turns out a he's not dead, and b he's a baddie. So Whoa. I know, I know. Double what? twist, double double twist. Uh, I also interviewed Chris Nolan for this way back before he was Christopher Nolan, I guess. And uh, on the phone, I interviewed him for this, and uh, I used the word nemesises, oh, and he boy. went, he went, is that the plural of nemesis? And I went, probably not. <laughs> what is? He went, nemesis. Nemini. 
Nemena, nemena. So you go. Every film is going to contain a great fact like that. Ninety-three Phantom Thread. PTA's Phantom Thread. What an amazing film! This is like the most fucked up rom-com ever made. It's like when Harry poisoned Sally. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah, it's it's really really twisted. It's got these incredible larger than life characters. It's it's absurd. It's beautiful. It's weird. I just love it. It's kind of appropriately intoxicating. Like mm. it's a film about intoxication that it's also completely like you get swept up in it. Chris, what are you chuckling at? Private joke. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what, like about mushrooms? About no, 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 <laughs> something else. But I, I, something I can't say on air. I found it very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Don't you find all of Chris Hewitt's jokes really funny? That Chris Hewitt's a fucking. I uh, honestly give him a, a Netflix special. Is what I say. <laughs> We're all saying it. Um, <laughs> See, just two. I've I've only seen Phantom Thread the once, but I still find myself thinking about it. I still mm. it, it's yeah. sort of grown in my mind um, ever since I stepped out of, of seeing it, and I think it was one that's going to linger for a long time. Yeah, good New Year's Eve movie as well. Not many mm. of those. Ninety two, Edgar Wright. Spoiler alert: has several movies on this list. What? The highest or is it the lowest Low. placing? Lowest, lowest, lowest. lowest, 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 lowest. Okay, lowest ranking movie on the list is his newest Baby Driver. I actually interviewed him for the magazine, so we have a, a little shot here of Edgar and, a, and a, a nice little interview as well. So Baby Driver, 92, what do we think of that? Just, I mean, for me, it was phenomenal. The car chase sequence in, the, in and of themselves, the opening set piece, mm. it was funny. I thought the writing was on point. In retrospect, you know, much was made about a kind of the struggle with the female characters and and that's always been something I think that's been talked about with Edgar Films that will probably actually be um, uh, handled with Last Night in Soho but Mm -hmm. I just the propulsion in this movie um, is breathtaking and I absolutely adored it I love that it's basically a love letter to the iPod within the 21st century (laughs) at a point but even like at a point where Spotify had already taken over it was like a, a sort of contemporary but nostalgic love letter to this piece of technology that sort of it's no mistake that he creates playlists to the soundtrack of his life and iPods gave us playlists yeah. that's what mm-hmm. that technology did and it's like a, his sort of love letter to that technology yep. at a point where it was already defunct I kind of love that about I it. miss my I miss the iPod classic I really do yeah the click wheel oh, oh. Fun Empire fact, I bought my first oh ever iPod off Ollie Richards Not fun. for £300. Can you imagine Christ. such a thing? Can you imagine such a thing? Was it the one with the physical click wheel and the four buttons at the top of it? Uh, no, it was basically just two tin cans and a piece of string. <laughs> you sold me a right pup, I have to say. Uh, 91, film number 91, number 91. In the mood for love, Wong Kar Wai's In the mood for love. Possibly, Are you in the mood for In the mood for love? Always. This is possibly the most stunningly beautiful film ever made like the the saturation of the colours the music that score is incredible Um, I mean the fact that it stars Maggie Chung and Tony Leung two of the most beautiful people who have ever walked the earth it is an absolutely incredible love story it's a sort of brief encounter for the well it's not set in the 21st century it's set in the 20th but you know what I mean it's it's Mm. a sort of um, uh, brief encounter kind of answer these two people uh, their spouses are having an affair and they kind of come together as a result, but in their hurt and their and their anger, I guess, and think about having an affair and don't quite, but 
maybe they do, but they don't really. And it's just heartbreaking. It's amazing. Love this film. Number 90, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm, what a movie. Hot empire fact. <laughs> Is it though? <laughs> when I had my first interview for this job back in 2001 uh, at the former empire offices on Shaftesbury Avenue in London, uh, I didn't know what to do with myself afterwards. I was staying with some friends in London and I went round the cinema, I went round the corner to the Curzon Soho and watched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Good choice. To get back to the film, oh, another yes. incredible <laughs> score, another um, absolutely beautifully shot film. It's amazing. It's just all of the cast are on best ever form almost. And, um, and this the, is, the fight choreography is like nothing yeah. anyone had ever seen before outside of, you know. This is one of those things where uh, Ang Lee just basically goes, right, I'm going to make a movie in this genre now and I'm going to master the genre. Yeah. Suck I, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boom, drop the microphone. Uh, I believe he actually does that on every single movie as well. <laughs> it really he makes doesn't. it sound so difficult to capture. <laughs> Stop dropping the microphone, Ang, for the love of God. Uh, yeah, fantastic film. Tremendous film. Is it the best action movie of the last 20 years? I don't know. Well, maybe something else will surpass it. And number 89, Her. H-E-R, her, not hair, her. Yep, that's what I thought. Number 88. And here's the thing, I haven't really, this is a good list. It's a solid list, it's a fine list. Uh, Her, Spike Jonze, yep, good. Joaquin Phoenix, good, solid. 88. This is where I might have to have a word with the readers. Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. From what I understand, this also ended up on quite a few critics' lists. Who are they? Bring me their names. <laughs> it's not a bad film. No, it's kind of it's interesting from a Tim Burton perspective yeah. in that he it's him literally at his most theatrical mm. and his most sort of gory and dark. It's the two sides of Tim Burton uncompromising in both of those elements brought together in a way that if you just want the singing it's probably too dark and gory for you if you just want moody tim burton it's probably too singy for you but if it hits that sweet spot in the middle it's and perfect. it evidently has for a lot of people <laughs> yeah. i i, I god never i seen... hate this film <laughs> <laughs> if it was a party line to be towed terry has just erased it with her heel <laughs> I mean, I must say, I respect the list, etc., etc., etc. Respect the list God, and tame the readers. <laughs> I think John Nugent's head exploded in the office when he saw that this had made the list. So, just to, just in case we're under any doubt that this is Tim Burton's best film of the twenty, well, whatever, how would you, how would you describe it? The last twenty years. Uh, here are the films he's made this century. Dumbo, most recently. Uh-huh. I Miss liked it. Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Everyone's forgotten it. Big Eyes. Yeah, likewise. Frankenweenie. That was cute. Dark Shadows. Mm. Alice in Wonderland. Mm. Then Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet mm. Street, the 88th greatest movie of the of the 21st century. Corpse Bride. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. Big Fish. That was good. That was great. And then the undisputed champ, Planet of the Apes, back in 2001. <laughs> wow. uh, Big Fish for me is his best Big movie. Big Fish yeah. is the best of the yeah, yeah. Which isn't on the list. That's a shame. Yeah. That was one of the first films I saw when I came to Empire and I was crying very hard in the screening and trying really hard not to be obvious that I was crying because I didn't want to be unprofessional, but apparently it was very obvious to everyone around me. Are you crying? Oh, fuck off! (laughs) 87, Bridesmaids. This is fair. This is very fair. I mean... It stands alone as a film by itself. The writing is Mm -hmm. spectacular. The performances 
are spectacular. Melissa McCarthy has never bettered it since. And also, we can't understate the significance of what this film did for proving that female ensemble films, albeit directed by man, but that's by the by, <laughs> yep. um, can succeed at the box office. And I honestly don't think we'd have seen the likes of Girl Trip, which was mm. one of my favourite comedies of, of last year, the year before. Where are we? Yeah. Oh, my God. A couple years ago, yeah. What is time? Um, that's a different conversation. <laughs> Without this film... We'll I get th- there in the Christopher Nolan movies, don't you worry. <laughs> and I think it's still, it's, it absolutely still stands up. Yeah. I watched it again recently it is superb that's the thing there are so many things about this film that are so important and what it did the barriers it broke down but also it's just ridiculously funny and so there aren't that many comedies on this list I think it's easy when you're putting together um, your personal lists that you weight the things that feel important mm. whereas the stuff that makes you laugh sometimes doesn't make it into those sort of oh all timer lists we've I'm become so the pleased. Oscars yeah <laughs> I'm so pleased this one did though yeah. because you think of Kristen Wiig on the plane uh, like tranked up and doing Hitler salutes <laughs> I am Miss is Inglesias. <laughs> the whole... Is that okay, that impression? Um, yeah, it's fine. It was I'm amazing. sure it's not problematic <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Um, and then the, the, um, the sequence after the Brazilian steak. The uh, shitting the sequence. The shitting sequence oh, boy. is amazing. Yep. That they didn't want to put in a movie that uh, wasn't I, uh, was I, a Judd uh, Apatow suggestion. They showed us that out of context and I hated it with a passion. Um, and they asked for like feedback on these clips, and I was like, "That is terrible. I don't want to. See, I don't know who is th- going to see this because, you know, people who are going to laugh at that are going to be put off by the name bridesmaids, and people mm. who are up there for the name bridesmaids are going to be put off by that. And I don't know who this is for. And I still kind of think that, but uh, it's grown on me in the sense that it, you but know, like a fungus. Uh, it, well, it just, I, I just okay. you know, like the that. absurdism. I think yeah. is the best parts of the comedy. You know, Melissa McCarthy's entire thing when she talks about falling off the cruise ship and breaking all the bones and then talking oh, yeah. to a dolphin in the sea. And when she's like, hey, Marshall John, get back in there. You want to not rest? Like steam coming off my undercarriage. All the like <laughs> stuff, all the stuff that's kind of just weird and stupid mm. and fairly absurd and not necessarily the vomiting and shitting. That for me is the real yeah. comedic genius of this film. Yeah. Although I do love the vomiting and shitting yeah, also. Of course. Uh, we uh, shot and interviewed Paul Feig for this movie and uh, he is in the magazine holding a wedding dress. I don't know why we thought of that. I don't know what the link could possibly be. Anyway, there he goes. Bridesmaids, 87. At 86, the very first movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It'll never come to anything. Uh, and in its own way, a movie every bit as influential and important in terms of blockbusters mm-hmm. as that same year in 2008's The Dark Knight. It is, of course, John Favreau's Iron Man. Iron Man. <laughs> yes, um, I, I love it. Um, and I think we were harsh on it at the time. We gave it, it three stars. We gave it three <gasps> stars. I know, right? I know. Um, I, I thought it was harsh at the time. I still think it's harsh. It has, I mean, obviously the most perfect piece of casting ever perfected. Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts, <laughs> never <Indeed>. bettered. <laughs> never bettered. And also Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yeah. as Tony Stark isn't bad either. As himself. <laughs> Jeff Bridges. <laughs> Jeff Bridges as Obadiah Stane. Obadiah Stane. You don't Tony see... Stark built us in a cave! You don't meet enough Obadiahs these days, do you? You don't. Mm. Anyway, I love it. And even though it was the start of everything else to come, it's actually a really satisfying film on its yeah. own right. It's mm. like a complete little story. Um, I think interesting as well, in 2008, it was a, a very different sort of origin story. It was a self-made hero. It was also dealing with terrorism at a time when the Iraq war was sort of still ongoing. It was a way to sort mm-hmm. of 
address that with mm-hmm. this really flawed, complex American hero who maybe contributed to the situation that he finds himself caught up in when mm. he's captured by those terrorists and, who and have his weapons. What a character as well. Yeah. Mm. So I was like, you know, oh, what a character. But no, he's uh, Tony Stark is just a, a, a bit of a one-off yeah. in a weird way. He's yeah. glib, I mean, he's funny, he's got depth. Hot. I think at the time yeah. as well, we'd had um, all the heroes have been like, I don't know, Peter Parker, who's always struggling with his with the weight of his responsibility and also trying to be a teenager. And whereas this was a guy, an adult in control of his own life, who was very flawed and made some really bad choices and was trying to be a better person. That felt mm-hmm. like a very different character arc to a lot of superhero films. Now, for me, hand on heart, I would probably have to say that this is my favorite movie <laughs> in the MCU. Yeah. Uh, except it's not. It's not even remotely close to being my favourite movie in the MCU. And I'm a bit surprised by its reputation still because I think it's been surpassed creatively by at least 10 different movies in the MCU <laughs> since, uh, including the best Iron Man film, Iron Man 3. Of course. And uh, so I'm surprised that this, this legacy continues to endure. And I do wonder whether the people who still revere Iron Man, a great movie, and I, I love it. And I revisited it recently and was surprised by how much I still liked it. But I do wonder whether those people have revisited or whether just remembering how fresh it was and how interesting mm. it was at the oh, time. I think people are going back. It's very easy to rewatch. It's very easy to rewatch. But you know what's easy to rewatch? Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. Number true. 85, The Assassination oh. of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. And when you print that title, you only have room for 50 words on the movie. <laughs> it, this has maybe my favorite shot of the 21st century. Um, Which is? The uh, train coming through the trees. This mm-hmm. is Roger Deakins on form, oh, on deeks. fire. Um, he split his own vote this year at the Oscars. Um, he was up against himself for I forget. Anyway, so he did. Oh, no, no country, country for old men, I think. Um, so he didn't win that time, uh, and he should have won twice, quite frankly, because <laughs> it's fucking phenomenal. Uh, it's also a very good film. It's slow. It's very, a very kind of again elegaic. It's very, very just lethar- almost lethargic at places, but it just mm. feels like the old west come to life it feels like he's recaptured the pace of that life uh, Andrew Dominic the director mm-hmm. and I adore it and it's a great Brad Pitt performance and now is the time when we celebrate great great Brad Pitt performances because he's back 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 indeed indeed uh, number 84 remember me it's Coco, Coco. Oh is this the first God. animated film on the list uh, yeah, uh, yes. I think it might be. Hey. Well, there we go. Coco. Good movie. And really nice to see a very um, sort of modern Pixar film mm-hmm. make it into this sort of list encompassing 20 years. Really interesting that in the year that uh, Trump presidency mm. began, it was Pixar going like, here is a really beautiful, vibrant, heartfelt story about a Mexican family that will make you cry buckets and buckets of tears. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful thing. I it's love a lovely this film. film. Number 83, Francis Ha. Noah Baumbach's movie with Greta Gerwig. It's almost like a time capsule of a very specific era in New York and it's really great, actually. It's a very realistic depiction of the early noughties in New York and, and specifically in Brooklyn. I actually think it's... Hey, Brooklyn! A, Brooklyn! Does What's speak- the matter? What hey, you doing? Greta Gerwig! You're never getting out no Lily! What's with the what's with the... <laughs> but I actually think this is... Th- their relationship and their actual creative collaboration, No Bambach and Greta Gerwig, is on absolute fine display here. And the uh-huh. nuance and the tenderness, um, the delicacy of this film, um, I think it's 
beautiful, stunning. I, I love the way that it shows um, that when you're in that time in your life in like late 20s, it's, all, it's that like, I can do anything. And also, oh my God, I yeah. need to be doing something. What am I actually doing? Mm-hmm. And the, the tension that you feel and making that funny and making that feel real yeah. and heartfelt is, is amazing. Absolutely. All right, we've got 70 minutes left and we've got 82 films to do. So let's race <laughs> through some of these. Uh, number 82, Skyfall. As good as its song, which is a banger. Mm. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? See, see the what be- I did. You see, look at that. The uh, <laughs> the biggest Bond film of all time, and the uh, it won a BAFTA and all sorts of stuff, and and richly deserved. Number eighty one. It's Neil Blomkamp's District Nine. Fucking prawns and all. You've forgotten how good this was, actually. Yeah, a little bit. I, I mean, remember thinking when I saw it at the time, thinking it was really quite revolutionary in many respects and I haven't really revisited it since. Mm. Maybe I should. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm just reading that little bit, bit of text about it going, oh, I should rewatch that. Yeah. I was anyway, really yeah. pleasantly like surprised in hindsight to see that it broke into the Oscar conversation as well. Mm. It was like a huge oh, yeah. summer blockbuster, uh, original idea, um, South African production and it broke into the Oscars. When does that happen? Yeah. Relatively well, tiny budget. 2009, yeah. Yeah. specifically. Thanks, Chris. I can give you an exact answer. Thank you, Chris. Uh, District 9, there we go, uh, is a very good film. Number 80, Before Midnight. I love this series of films. Um, so this isn't my favourite of the three before films, uh, but it doesn't matter because I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm invested in, yeah. in them and their habit of walking around and talking about life. It's great. Oh, I fucking love it. Ask me the name of the director, Helen. What's the name of the director, Chris? No, it doesn't work that way, does it? Damn it. Hang on. Hey, Helen, what's the name? What's the, who guy, who's the guy who directed Before Midnight? Richard? Linklater? No, I think I'll do a link now, Helen. Thanks very much. Oh, that was Number terrible. 79, Little Miss Sunshine. The sort of emblematic mid-naughty Sundance breakout yes. hit, right? Yeah, and it, it was, yeah. It's, it's, it's charming. Sundance movie, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, it's it's charming. It's quirky. It's offbeat. It has its moments of darkness. It's ultimately very uplifting. It's a sort of fun oddball road trip adventure movie through uh, through a weird part of America. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, fantastic film. Little Miss Sunshine won Alan Arkin an Oscar, didn't it? Mm-hmm. It did. A film that won Tilda Swinton the Oscar uh, for best supporting actress is Number Seventy Eight, Michael Clayton which is a film that I have written what is laughingly called a critic essay uh, in, in Empire Magazine. It's basically just me banging on about how great Michael Clayton is. Uh, it's just a fantastic film. If you don't know what it is, uh, George Clooney is a fixer for a high-flying law firm. He has some problems in his life. He's he's kind of coming to a bit of a moral, ethical crossroads, and he gets involved with uh, a case involving his best friend, Tom Wilkinson, and uh, some corruption at a high level. Uh, but it's a phenomenal film that's really, really great on the way that the American dream has soured over the years. Clooney has never been better in this. The final scene and the final shot of this movie are all timers for me and this is an incredible film written and directed by Tony Gilroy if you have never seen Michael Clayton see Michael Clayton it's one of those movies you can rewatch every single goddamn year number 77 Dunkirk Lo-Fi Nolan in so many respects and I think the most effective Nolan I love the simplicity of so much of the actual story but his the execution I still think about the sign design like yeah. a, however long later um, I did watch it at 7.30 in the morning um, in a massive IMAX but Christ <laughs> what a film 
And I love that even when doing like a historical war movie, uh, he still finds a way to do some kind of weird chronology with it. <laughs> he will yeah. always find a way. It's Chris Nolan's thing. Do you think he perceives time differently to everybody else? <laughs> what is time, Christopher Nolan? Help me. Yes. What is Nemesis is is uh, number seventy six, Logan. What a movie. Uh, this was, I mean, you know, you can keep certain other movies that purport to take superheroes seriously if, if you can, if you can we'll give me this one. We'll get to those, Helen. I know. Um, <laughs> but, but I thought this was just a phenomenal kind of twist on the uh, X-Men legend. I think James Mangold is a proper all-rounder. He is, he's a, you know, like Ang Lee, he, mm-hmm. he's a guy who just hops into a genre and goes, oh, yeah, I can do this really 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 fucking well and yes. and he can um and i think i'm really really glad that basically they sort of took the shackles off um both him and um hugh jackman for this one and mm-hmm. really let them go to town and do yeah. something completely unexpected for this film because it works so well the emotional heft of this mm. movie is something else it really is um and in the magazine we have an exclusive interview with james mangold that someone in this room conducted but listen i've I don't want to boast. Number 75, Training Day. Good movie. Number 74. <laughs> no, I really like Training Day. I think it's fantastic. I do wonder, though, if it would be on this list if it weren't for the uh, the power of the two performances, the, the two yeah. main performances. Obviously, Denzel Washington won the Oscar and gets all applauded. Some people remember him as Alonzo Harris, but Ethan Hawke is also great mm-hmm. as a kind of moral centre of that film. Um, it's interesting. Antoine Fuqua, I don't think, has come close to the power of this film since so hopefully uh, he can do that great script as well great script by David Ayer no less Mm -hmm. number 74 it's uh, Park Chan-wook's Old Boy which I remember seeing in Cannes a few years ago and just being blown away by yeah what a wild movie like the the hook of this especially because this was such a crossover hit from extreme Asian cinema to sort of mainstream British and American cinemas Um, this guy who gets kidnapped and you don't know why and he doesn't know why and he's captured for 15 years and then he's sprung out of nowhere in a box in the middle of a field and has to go out and find out why and who and what the hell is going on. And it's such a disorientating film. It's um, really visceral, some of the fight scenes in this, the, the sort of corridor fight scene where he bashes a load of people with a hammer is sort of hugely influential on things like The Raid and basically the last Daredevil, 20 years yeah. of um, action cinema. And it's got one of the most devastating endings that will stay with you forever. Mm. It's amazing. Oh, yes, it really will. Um, (laughs) Maybe check this one out instead of the Spike Lee remake. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Number 73, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's latest movie. Also my favourite of his this century. I was going to say this year. And possibly all time. They're really, Um, really good. Terry, there's a big QT van. I hate this movie. (gasps) (laughs) Well, don't hate it. Okay, I am I am challenged on this movie. Um, this people talk about this being the sweetest of Tarantino's films, and him it is most kind of nostalgic and oh, sweet um, in the way that someone being flamethrown to death in a yeah, swimming pool yeah. is sweet. Um, I think there are problematic parts of this movie, yeah. very problematic parts of this movie. I agree. Bruce Lee, uh, very, very, very overt violence towards women's faces. Um, what I will say is that um, I think it is Brad Pitt being mm. his most wonderful, Leonardo DiCaprio. The the love letter to Hollywood is stunning. Some of the tracking shots in a, as they drive through Hollywood are just absolutely outstanding. Some of the best shots of last year. 
that's what I'll say in, in a good way. Very good, very good. I didn't know that we were allowed to hate movies on the list. That's very, that's very useful I'll information. Just, uh, yeah, very, for certain ones. Uh, very yeah, line, useful yeah. information indeed. As we come to number seventy-two, Birdman, or the unexpected virtue of ignorance, or look at my pretentious bollocks. Oh, I don't hate mm. this one. I remember quite liking it at the time. I quite like the drum beats. Um, if that's the best you can say about a film, then I haven't, you should okay. see Whiplash. I Jesus. haven't gone back to it, admittedly. But again, Lebeski's on form like three times in a row, best cinematography winner. And even as a Deeks oh, fangirl, I can't argue with he's him. He's great. He is good. He's gr- he is good. He is good. It is insufferable, though, isn't it? It's insufferably <laughs> smug. And Michael Keaton had the audacity. Like, it's all oh, cheeky wink casting. Oh, he used to be Batman, and now he's playing this guy Birdman, who can't yeah. escape this superhero character. And then, like, three years later, not even. He went and played a bird-themed supervillain in a Spider-Man movie. What's that about? We, and he was really good in it, and it was a really good film, and didn't have the audacity to be like, oh, I'm so wanky, look at me, I'm in one shot, yeah. oh, I'm about nothing. I'm not, sure that was, I'm not sure that was what the film was trying to say. <laughs> this, listen, I know that people love this movie, and it's an audacious one-take movie before Sam Mendes in 1917, and, and people love it, uh, operating in so many different layers, uh, and that's totally fine, but it is an absolute barrel of wank. <laughs> I, would have had, I would have had The Revenant over this. I would have the Revenant over this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of the Revenant either. Is this on the list? Is, <laughs> oh, Re- wow. is Revenant on the list? Okay. No. Number right. 71, The Raid. Now, oh, amazing. Uh, this is, uh, well, there are other action movies on the list. Some of them are even higher up the list than The Raid. But for me, nothing of the last 20 years will surpass the experience I had watching this movie for the first time. Uh, if you have never seen The Raid with an audience, see The Raid with an audience because it is incredible. Mm. It's uh, every oof, every ooh, every ah, every what has he just done to that guy's face? It's glorious. Glorious, glorious, glorious stuff. Uh, high octane, high concept thriller. If you haven't seen it, I've got an interview in here with the director Gareth Evans, which is well worth your time. Number 70. Af- Avatar? Avatar. <laughs> I think it's pronounced Avatar. 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 You know, this one gets a lot of hater rating, but yeah. um, I still, like, I was blown away by this when it came out. I was not convinced in advance. I went to Avatar Day and watched that 20 minutes, and I was like, what the fuck? And, <laughs> and yet when it hit, it was absolutely just transporting, and you genuinely felt like you were in another world. It, a absolute all-time best use of CG, of 3D, I think, mm. um, and just stunning, stunning work. I think when James Cameron decides to tell a big soppy love story, he fucking tells a big soppy love story. But and at then the same some. time, as him doing his big like action macho military mm. like mech suits and flying helicopter things and birds, yeah, giant birds, dragon things. I think people underestimate the impact of like going to the cinema and being transported to yeah. Pandora and like people came out of the cinema depressed because Pandora wasn't real I, I know that was all like PR spin and stuff no but, but I genuinely that, felt a shade of that I felt a shade of like I want to go to there and I can't and it's frustrating <laughs> I like, want to go to there I want to go, <laughs> to, go, to, there. go to there but genuinely I mean like the fall of Home Tree is genuinely mm. one of the most like upsetting things I think I've seen in cinema this century All right, I mean, considering <laughs> considering the whole um, never bet against James Cameron thing I'm really actually quite excited for Avatar 2 to see what he does to remind everybody yeah. why they fell in love with this mm. thing in the first place why it became such a cultural behemoth but this is testament to the imagination, heart and love of cinema f- of James Cameron. This is him saying the boundaries that exist, I'm going to seek to break all of them creatively, 
technically, um, and every time I see it, I'm like, this is just the perfect embodiment of what James Cameron can represent in cinema at his mm. very best. Mm. Indeed, indeed. Uh, 69, anyone? Who are? Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. This is my favourite Wes Anderson by quite some distance. Agreed. Fully um, agreed. I absolutely love it. I think the script is astonishing. I, I think all the performances are amazing. The cast, I mean, talk about greatest ensembles ever assembled. This mm. has got to be in, in there. Um, and just everybody's firing on all cylinders and it's still so weird and, and yet there's something so true about it. I just love it. It still deeply sucks that Gene Hackman has retired from acting. Mm. I, I know he had to do so in medical advice, but uh, there you go. For me, Welcome to Mooseport is not his last movie. This is his last movie. He is tremendous in it. Mm. Uh, 68, less sexy, Apocalypto. No. <laughs> I mean... Is that because of its director, Terry? Or... That, that, that is one challenging aspect. The other one of which is it's absolutely fucking deranged and not in a way that I can get on board with. Okay. It's, Six, yep. yeah, it's pacey. I'll give it that. <laughs> yeah, Pacey, like Dawson's Creek. Hey. 67. Hey. There's another Edgar Wright movie. It's, for my money, the best Edgar Wright movie. It's Hot Fuzz. Oh, such a good movie. In in the best way, it is the film that you can never bring yourself to skip on ITV2. <laughs> in the, That's because like, it's always on. Yeah. It's if you skip on. it on ITV2, you will skip to Hot Fuzz. <laughs> That's the thing, it's always on. But even if you saw it the week before, you'd be like, oh, I'll, I'll watch an hour of Hot Fuzz. And then actually you've watched the whole of Hot Fuzz because mm-hmm. you can't turn it off. Yeah. It's, it's them, it's... Um, Maybe the funniest of the three Cornetto films, yep. whichever of the yep. three, they each have their different yeah. strengths. This one for me is the funniest one. Also, I just love him going full on um, Michael Bay, Gonzo, <laughs> in, the, in the last third, um, the in, fuck off down the model village. Yeah. And, oh, it's great. And the the, the layering and the, the foreshadowing and the, the intricacy oh, of everything being it like could be set so up bloated. in advance is so elegant. Unlike Shaun the Dead, it could be a really bloated script. It's like it's over two hour long film. I know when they wrote the script initially, the first draft was huge and great big whacking, uh, massive script. But it feels really tight and focused. Really, really funny stuff. Hot Empire fact, I was on set oh, and I <laughs> saw the fence gag. Oh, I saw wow. them shoot the fence gag. Kind of amazing. The thing that I think is interesting as well is that it's sort of Edgar Wright's love letter to the sort of towns that he grew up in and yet also is quite a like stinging satire that feels way, way more prescient now than it did Mm. 10 years ago Mm -hmm. about the sort of small town and the uh, sort of very set in their ways. uh, uh, People who will justify any kind of heinous acts as long as it's for the greater good. As long as the the village stays pure. Thank you, Helen. It's the greater good. Honestly, what are you? What am I paying you guys for? Fuck's sake! Anyway, Hot Fuzz is great. It's off the fucking (laughs) chain. Number sixty-six is another Christopher Nolan film. It's uh, the best Christopher Nolan film. I'm going to say it's the best Christopher Nolan film. It's The Prestige. Fucking love The Prestige. None of the other Christopher Nolan films have um, (laughs) David Bowie playing Nikola Tesla. So so. (laughs) clearly, QED, your honor. Case case proven. Lots of great hats as well. Uh, Number sixty-five, Toy Story three. Yeah, really good film. This, I mean, I think everybody was a little bit trepidatious of this one. It's like, oh, d- you know, Disney, we're going to try and make a director-to-DVD um, Toy Story 3. And then when they bought Pixar, Pixar essentially took it back over. And you still thought, oh, it's still just a cash-in, isn't it? And then it wasn't. It was fucking great. It's an absolutely beautiful film that I don't think we necessarily expected. 
giving the, the toys away. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but that, that is sadder than the furnace. People oh get hung God. up on the furnace, no, but him I, handing over the toys. No, no, that, no that's the big is, crying moment. If yeah. They're both in furnace crying moments for me, but I am a big wuss. In the magazine, we have interviewed the film's director, Lee Unkrich, and we have shot him as well in San Francisco. Marsh? And he is holding... <laughs> no, uh, With a camera. We okay. shot him with a camera. Yes. And then we stabbed him to death after that. Uh, there was, uh, we shot him with lots of hugging bear as well. I think it's his actual, it's his own bear that he brought yeah, to the photo shoot. That's correct. Which isn't weird. Number 64, <laughs> Almost Famous. The oh. moment in Almost Famous when Zoe Deschanel drives off at the beginning and she says to him, look under your bed, it will set you free. And she's got that, he's got that stash of records under there, Led Zepp and Simon and Garfunkel and America is playing on the soundtrack that is <laughs> that is one of the best things I've ever seen it's so oh, good did you do he's so cute <laughs> if you looked under my bed you'd be horrified <laughs> number 63 Under the Skin this is an interesting choice mm. I have to say I did not expect to see this movie in the top mm-hmm. 100 I think everyone who's seen it really admires it I would I would put myself in the admire rather than the love camp but, you know, it doesn't have a lot of... It, it didn't have a lot of people who went to see it, but those yep. who do really dig it. It got under their skin. You might Terry, say. where do you stand in this movie? I can't. I honestly can't discern from your expression whether you're a lover or a hater of this film. Hater. Hater. All right. Number 62. I am not drinking fucking Merlot, as Paul Giamatti said. Exactly like that. Fuck you. <laughs> you. You can swear when it's a quote. Totally fine. Okay. Otherwise, totally fucking out. Number 62, Sideways. Uh, I, I remember laughing as a non-drinker. A lot of it went over my head. Can I say that I think this film is overrated? You can. Yeah. And in You're fact, in you should. I, I'm going to say it. I think it's overrated. I think it's it's fine. I think it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's one of the most middle class movies ever made, isn't it? It's just painfully. Yeah. 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 It's, it's far from Alexander Payne's best work, I think. Painfully, that's hey. good. Number 61, it's another Edgar Wright film. It's another staple of ITV2. It is not Edgar Wright's first film, as he is always a pains to point out. That's Fistful of Fingers, Shaun of the Dead. Right, so if I said that Hot Fuzz is the funniest of the Cornetto films, for me, this one is so tight. It is so sharp. This is like, this is Edgar Wright's chance to make, well, obviously not his very first film, but his chance to make a film and he is going to do every single thing he can to make it such a tight sort of propulsive Mm. thing (laughs) that opening five minutes that scene in the pub every single line like zing 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 all the character stuff is there the his entire style is all encapsulated in that five minutes you get the really great ambitious stuff like the um really hilarious tracking shot of um sean going to the shop so good yeah uh, while the attack is happening but that's like a minute and a half maybe two minute take so he was doing all these really ambitious filmmaking things while making one of the most iconic British comedies of the last, well, 20 years. Um, (laughs) And amazing zombie film, also a great sort of just post-coming-of-age film about being in your late late 20s, early 30s and having to like let go of your friends a bit and commit to your girlfriend and like in a very sad way prepare for your parents not to be around forever. It like deals with all those things. Um, It does so much whilst also just being hilarious. I love it. Ben's going through a lot right now. (laughs) (laughs) If you looked under Ben's bed, we'd find his record collection. And in that record collection would be the Batman soundtrack. (laughs) Throw it. Check it. Uh, Number 60, Carol. Oh, gorgeous. What a a film. And just uh, the romance... 
but also er so erotic so erotic and the fact that it's a queer film as well but it's just a beautiful depiction of forbidden romance and the sexual tension is unbearable number 59 Django Unchained uh, Terry as a, as a big QT fan how, how do you how do you feel about this one? This isn't one of my favourites either. I feel like I'm jumping into the uh, Quentin Tarantino <laughs> ranking that we may be doing in the near future. But this isn't this isn't one of my favourite Tarantinos. Okay. No. I think it's great, and cool. it obviously won. Okay, cool. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's that done. The end. <laughs> I think it's got some um, really sort of gleeful moments in it. The very final shot of Jamie Fox looking back at the camera and sort of like sort of with a massive grin on his face, having burned down the Candyland Ranch is amazing. Yeah. Sort of toes a tricky line um, in that Tarantino way. He's going to make yep. a big, fun exploitation movie. About a this southern topic. rather than a western is what he would yes. call it. Yes. Anyway, 58. We are burning through the time here. My personal 58. favorite. Oh, personal favorite? Personal favorite Pixar movie. Mm. Oh, also the personal sorry. favorite of my nearly two-year-old nephew. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, what a Wally. It's uh, Wall-E. <laughs> I, I know the second half is slightly more generic, but that first half is so mind-blowing and beautiful and so, oh. I mean, the first 30 minutes, yeah, just yeah. Yeah. Untouchable. remarkable. Absolutely amazing. And, and I don't actually not rate the second half either. I think yeah. you have to do something. You have to go mm. somewhere. And I think where it goes is actually very moving and very powerful. And it's an incredible film. I think it's Anderson's best. Also, again, a, a film from 12 years ago where the, the, the quest in the second half is to save the last piece of viable plant life and it's like this film was really really big on the um, uh, global warming stuff mm -hmm. like way mm -hmm. before it became the defining issue of this century absolutely uh, number 57 is Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive it's just cool isn't it it's very cool it's it's all style but it's stylish no is it? no. it's not you know that's, that's fair and it doesn't it, it underuses uh, Oscar Isaacs like why, do, why would you cast him and then not you know do more but well he wasn't Oscar Isaac well then, maybe he, he should know. have been you know maybe yeah. a really great author would have seen that he actually well, maybe was maybe you should marry Oscar Isaac well okay then <laughs> I accept uh, anyway I, I do it's very good <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if my opinion of this movie has been coloured somewhat by the fact that Only God Forgives which came along afterwards mm. is one for me one of the most hateful movies I've seen in a long, long time. Um, so yeah, maybe I hated it. Yeah. maybe it retroactively coloured my opinion of mm. Drive, but I'm not a fan of Drive. Fifty six. I just like a script personally, but you know I don't want to. There was vroom, a script. Vroom. It just said Ryan Gosling stares into nothing. <laughs> then the synths kick in. The synths were good. They were good synths. Good like, synths. Yeah. Good jacket. Yeah. But of yeah. the movies that are inspired in this list by Walter Hill as a driver. Maybe this should be 92 or not in the list at all. And Baby oh, Driver should be here. Okay. Anyway, hey, 56, it's before sunset. See, everything I said for before midnight and apply it to this. Thank you. 55. <laughs> 55, Captain America, oh, yes. the Winter Soldier. Bring it. Now, hand on heart, guys, I would have to say that this is probably, for me, my favourite movie <laughs> in the MCU. But it actually is, though. But it actually kind of is. <laughs> um, oh, genuinely, also Civil War might be. And yeah, Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. Yeah, anyway. that's fair. It's, no, it's, it's incredibly um, uh, quotable, actually, in a weird way. It's, I just think it's superbly done. I love that they play um, 
it is a sort of weird romance between Cap and Falcon. Um, I I just think all of the kind of paranoia beats are brilliantly done. And they've got Robert Redford just for lols. Brilliant. Love it. On your left. Oh, on your left. It's oh a Winter God. Soldier. Before we get started, would anyone like to get out is what I should say to you guys before we start every podcast. <laughs> 54. Speaking of quotable movies, it's Brokeback Mountain. Oh, God, just heartbreaker. Just an angly once again, just showing his incredible versatility, but just the beauty of his filmmaking. And I don't think Gyllenhaal or Heath Ledger have been finer. The the intensity and nuance and delicacy and raw passion of their relationship on screen is just gorgeous. And I was actually a massive fan of the original short story, Annie Proust's short story that this was based Mm. on. And the film just does it justice and then some. You might not be surprised to know I have not read that short story, mainly because Jack Reacher's not in it. Uh, mm. 53. Jack Twist is, though. Oh, really? Oh, like, hey. is, does, he, does he say nothing? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay, yeah. good. I'm on board. 53. I don't know how to quit you. <laughs> Who the hell is that? <laughs> I think Terry's uh, baby is speaking to us now <laughs> through Terry. <laughs> Number 53, an adaptation of a book that also doesn't have Jack Reacher in it, but one I have read. Wow. It's Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. One of the all-time great battle scenes. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it doesn't get the privilege of being the first one or the last one, but it does carve an identity for itself, mainly through Helm's Deep. Hmm. Uh, also, the Rohan stuff is amazing in this, the, yeah. the sort of diversion to Rohan. That's entertainment. Number 52, it's another Quentin Tarantino joint. It's Inglorious Bastards. I think this just might be his masterpiece. I don't know if I'd rank it against uh, how I'd rank it against some of the other earlier Tarantino stuff, but Inglorious Bastards like grows in stature every single rewatch. I think it gets better and better and better. I really like the fact that it's Tarantino rewriting history and getting uh, French film nerds to win the war. And um, it's so stylish, and yeah, I love it. And uh, the, the the chapters, the chapters that it's told mm. in, the mm. scene in the bar, the La Louisienne yeah. um, card game, the opening sequence with Hans Lander and um, Shoshana hiding under mm-hmm. the floorboards, amazing stuff. It's so tense. It's so entertaining. It's all the things Tarantino does best. It's also way more fun than a film about Nazis should be. There's a common theme here, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Number 51. Paddington 2. Way too low. So much lower than it should be. What the fuck, people? Come on. If we're kind and polite, the world will be right. Uh, is what I meant to say. Oh. Yes. Yeah. This is the anti-Brexit of movies. It is a <laughs> tremendous, tremendous film. Heartwarming and funny and possibly the greatest ending of the last 20 years. Uh, mm-hmm. And for it, we interviewed and shot once again with a with a camera. Uh, Paul King, the film's director, sitting eating a marmalade sandwich, and interviewed him about the various elements that made this film the classic that it is. Where was Paddington Two on your list, Chris? Number one. Of course, it was. Paddington Two is an incredible movie. I would have it much higher up the list, and I suspect the same would be true of number fifty for Helen. Is Hunt for the Wilder People just the greatest? It, I think this was actually my number one. Um, I adore Ricky Baker with my whole heart, uh, Julian Denison's character. I just think his whole shtick of wanting to be a you know big tough gangster, but actually just wanting to be loved is just, 
is so relatable and so adorable and I would die for him and um, and also <laughs> wow. for Sam Neill's Uncle Heck I just think it's yeah. it's perfect filmmaking I love it yeah. the way it switches tones on a dime is oh, just tremendous yeah. it's uh, crazy and weird very and very wonderful. good is this the highest Taika Waititi movie on I'm gonna this is exciting for me oh, that I have yeah. on this list oh it's so exciting you should read the magazine I do Who read knows the, I, how I read, exciting it could be I read portions of the magazine you said, have you tried the review section at the back it's <laughs> shite. tremendously shite number hey. 49 in Bruges fucking amazing funny fucking and clever it. as fuck <laughs> <laughs> I've just read uh, Ollie Richards sort of description of it shitting fuck it's sweary he says <laughs> it certainly is great, not wrong. great 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 film by, uh, it's by also, Martin McDonough yeah it's also just so funny so clever and, mm-hmm. and, and really so moving actually at the end of the day it's mm. all about guilt number 48 Star Wars The Force Awakens. Now, regular listeners of the podcast might know that I don't agree with it being in the top 100, but there you you go. At all. At all. This is what the trilogy could have been and should have been. Dear God. This was the this was the blinding gliding gliding. This was the blinding guiding light of optimism that began it all and then was swiftly fucking extinguished. It's it's you know what it's I a, agree and also disagree. <laughs> it's a brilliant palate cleanser after the disappointments of the prequels, which I know are nowhere to be seen, despite one of them being a five star classic apparently. What? Um so <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so yeah, I think it I think it served a necessary purpose and I think it introduced some great new characters. And I love that it's quite literally about having to rediscover the original heart of Star Wars who, mm-hmm. that has I gone know. missing. Which is, you could do by just yeah. sitting down and watching the much better film. Chris. Anyway, number 47 is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. It's another Edgar Wright movie. I'm really surprised this is higher than Shaun the Dead. I'm yeah, this really is the highest shocked. Edgar Wright movie on the yeah. list. That's amazing. Oh, that's what you were pointing at. Okay, I thought... Um, I realized I, I thought, at I thought that you had moment to go to the toilet that I wasn't Yes, so it was, yeah, this is the <laughs> highest. This is the last Edgar Wright film on the list. Uh, this is a tremendous film. It's it's phenomenal. I, I gave it four, five stars at the time and I stand by that. Well done. Well yeah. done. Thanks. Hot Empire fact. I saw this at Comic-Con and at the end they uh, they pulled back this giant curtain and Metric were there and Metric played mm. the song from the film Black Sheep and then some other Amazing. songs and then me and Nick went, should we go? <laughs> so, cool story, bro. 46. Once in a lifetime opportunity to see Metric. And we were like, yeah, let's go. Uh, 46, Inside Lewin Davis. Love it. Absolutely love it. I'm, I'm a bit of a Coen Brothers fangirl. And this one takes all my Coen Brothers boxes, some weird singing bits, um, some Oscar bits that Isaac. make very no sense. Well, I mean, if is he's that there, main, is that, that's also a bonus. Is that the box you want to tick? <laughs> is that what the kids are calling it these days? Well, well, well. Golly. Um, Temperature's no, risen in here. I just, I absolutely love it, and and even though I know nothing otherwise really about folk music, I was into it. It's Digging fucking it. great. Forty five, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It's a miracle that this film exists, let alone the fact that it ended up being as amazing as it is. Um, and it feels of a piece with the original Blade Runner. It also charts a lot of new territory and does its own thing. It really plays with the whole Chosen One narrative in a really interesting way. I mean, props to Denis Villeneuve. I don't know how the hell you pull something like that off and make it as good as this. And it finally won the Deeks' Oscar. Well, I was going to say, is it this film two words? (laughs) Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins 2049. Yeah. When he's like a robo-Deakins, just a cyborg of cinematography. I'd love that. Uh, 44, this movie also won the best cinematography uh, Oscar. Mm. Roma, Alfonso Cuaron's Roma. Yeah, gorgeous, beautiful film. 
um, and really, really human level and human sized and moving in the extreme. The the sound mix in this is more immersive than any 3D mm. I've ever seen in my life. The way it creates the mm. soundscape of the city, it makes it feel even more like a memory, like you're living in somebody else's memory for two hours. Oh, Ben. I know. Yeah. That was beautiful, have you, written, babe. have you written this shit down? I mean, I've written a lot about this list. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's true, you have. Uh, if you want to know how great this film is, uh, it's coming out on the Criterion Collection next month, which I think may be the quickest turnaround from a movie coming out theatrically to the Criterion Collection. Mm. Someone can correct me on that if, 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 if I am wrong. But I just think that's interesting because the Criterion Collection doesn't pick shit movies. Mm. The Rock and Armageddon is also on the list. 43, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the Kings. I am surprised this is higher than Two Towers. Um, mm. But it does have some freaking great moments. And again, it's weirdly one that I quote way more than you would think you would. Um, that whole, the Aragorn speech, there may come a day when the courage of men fails, but it is not this day. I say, but it is not this day, way more than I should. Uh, I, I am I'm not Aragorn. I'm always going around going, <laughs> I am no man, before I stab really? people in the face. Oh, well... I mean, you've got to have a hobby. So <laughs> I'm always pushing open doors in a really dramatic way. <laughs> oh my God, he! No one pushes open doors like he does. But actually, his best door pushing is in two towers. So that's another reason it should be higher. Okay, number forty-two, Casino Royale, which I'm guessing is the highest-rated Bond film on this list, unless Quantum of Solace has a big surprise for <laughs> me. Uh, Casino Royale. Uh, this is the one that reinvented Bond and brought uh, Daniel Craig into the uh, into the uh, the title role, and it's a great did. film. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Great film. Number 41, Avengers Endgame. Number 40. Wait. (laughs) Wait a second. Wait a second. It's the greatest moment in all our lives, Chris, and you know it. It is, but the reason I had to skip it so quickly is because I was crying so damn hard. I know. 41, though. I was shocked. Yeah, that was too. high or low? Low. Low? It feels low to me. I think Scorsese's got his dabs in this list. I really do. <laughs> yeah. I really do. It is the biggest film of all time as things stand. Uh, it is unlikely that will be overtaken by the time you hear this podcast. Uh, but yeah, I just think this movie's tremendous. A hand on heart, guys, for me, it probably is my favourite film in the MCU. Uh, no, it's just it's just a wonderful... And again, coming after Return of the King, these are two movies that had very tricky... Endings to negotiate mm-hmm. and negotiated them and them and navigated them very well indeed. And uh, is one of the two movies this this century so far that has made me cry like a big girl. The other one is number forty. Oh God! <laughs> oh. Up. Oh, Pete Doctor, I think is. Uh, the single cleverest man in the world, possibly. I, I feel like his... And we'll get to another reason, I think, that a bit later. Um, but who who comes up with this idea? You know, it's a, it's an old man in his house and he ties balloons to it and he flies away and and it's all a metaphor for grief mm. and love and, and commitment. It's unbelievable, this mm. film. Also the fact that it does such heavy emotional stuff and then also has talking dogs and a big bird called Kevin <laughs> and they're all flying <laughs> biplanes at the end. You forget the weirdness. There's a literal the... dog-dog yeah. fight. Squirrel! <laughs> yeah. the... I have just met you and I love you. <laughs> That's the thing. It's such a funny, joyous film with all these wild, wild, <laughs> inventive, crazy moments in it that also has these really, really human bits that will just shatter you. There is an argument to be made that the married life sequence at the beginning is the greatest piece of filmmaking 
portals aside, obviously. Obviously. Uh, in the 21st century so far. Mm. The, that sustained, just wonderful montage is incredible to the point where I cannot listen to Michael Cicchino's score without going, oh, it's a bit sad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that breaks me. Um, he performed at, at Christmas in the Royal Albert Hall and they had jugglers with light up juggly things, clubs, uh, beautifully juggling during that scene and I was still crying like a baby. The, the more emotional <laughs> bit is when he looks through the adventure book oh my and she's gosh. put all she's the pictures of their life together that that was the adventure, <laughs> yeah. that their life together was all the adventure oh, she loved. Yeah. Oh. I saw this, I saw this a couple of years after my mum died and I, uh, yeah, anyway, it's, um, yeah, it was a tough screen. Number 39, Joker. Helen? <laughs> oh, no. I, think my, I think I've made myself quite clear. Um, you know, I'm always going to go to bat for this film, which is over a billion from a 55 million budget. Um, slow burn character study, I think, completely kind of subverted what we think of as comic book movie. Jack and Phoenix, never better. Um, and How yes, did you say his name, Jack and Phoenix. That'll do. <laughs> That's <laughs> correct. Is that what they're going to say at the Oscars when they read it out from the envelope? <laughs> and Joaquin uh, Phoenix has never been better. I mean, the score alone. Um, the is score is great. Hilda, um, Hilda. I can uh, never say. Gwyneth if you couldn't Dothier. say Joaquin Phoenix, yeah. you're not going to be able to say. I think it's Dothier. I, I'm um, pretty sure the dot here. And if there is good. any, if there is any Oscar category that is a shoe in, it is she for best score. She is phenomenal mm. and a proper artist. Mm -hmm. And give her everything. <laughs> Would you like my child, Hilda? Uh, Terry's child is not up for negotiation. <laughs> we have to make that absolutely clear. Uh, in case you're listening, Terry's pregnant. Number thirty-eight. Uh, how long have we been doing this Am podcast? <laughs> number 38, the is grand... It, Sorry, <laughs> it is not mine. It is not mine. Uh, number 38, is it mine? <laughs> number 38, the Grand Budapest Hotel. I think this might be my favourite Wes Anderson film. I think it's uh, it's really, really own. funny. Uh, it's astonishingly beautiful. I love the layers of artifice, the story within the story within the story, uh, the different aspect ratios that it plays with, and also the fact that his films are so stylish and beautiful, but this one feels like it's about the need to protect that beauty in a time when the world is getting uglier and uglier. And I really like that message in it. I like Ray Fiennes in it, and that's about... Oh. No, it's, no, it's, it's great. It. Number 37 is Donnie Darko. Do you know what, reading about this again in the mag reminded me that it's been a while and maybe I should go back and watch this again. But I, I adored this at the mm. time and then I haven't seen it in years. So I feel like I need another good look. I didn't particularly like it. Why? Why? I just thought it was bollocks. Totally oh. stun it. Just says that, stun says it. Yeah. only nice things about you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Although I heard it say Chris is a prick. So. Well, that's yeah. right. Chrissy Shitto, more like. Uh, anyway, for the magazine, we, we shot with a camera. Richard Kelly, the film's writer-director. Uh, fit director, Helen? I mean, not unfit, is he? Yeah. Uh, so there he goes with Frank the Rabbit. Number 36, speaking of directors that we shot with a camera, Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig's directorial debut. Uh, do you know what? I, I made my mum watch this um, because I was... I did this interview with, with Greta Gerwig, which we have in the magazine, and so I needed to watch it the night before. My mum was visiting, and she started off the film hating Lady Bird and basically <gasps> tisking and tutting every time she did anything, which, you know, she does some very mm. not ideal things. About the end of it, was just in tears and absolutely invested in her and her mum's relationship. And um, and I told Greta Gerwig that, and she just went, ha, gar! <laughs> <laughs> um, which, I, which makes me love the film even more, because um, she knew exactly what she was doing in terms of winning over, over everybody 
Kelly's mm. disapproving mum. But I think it's a it's a fantastic film about growing up, about figuring out who you are, about rejecting everything your parents tried to do for you, and then realizing that maybe some of it wasn't actually one hundred percent wrong. Um, and I think it's it's beautiful and great great performances as well. Number thirty five, Arrival. Yeah, that's fair. This is a good movie. I think people have forgotten how, how good a movie this was. And a, a lovely film about the need, the necessity to communicate with each other, to understand Shut each up, other. Shut up, Number 34. <laughs> Zodiac. David Fincher's uh, Zodiac. The tagline to this is perfect. Um, there's more than one way to lose your life to a killer. I think that just sums up mm. the whole film in a really fascinating way. And it preceded the whole um, true crime boom that yeah. has that came in the sort of decade after the film came out. Um, Fincher does an amazing job with this. It's sort of cold and clinical, Mm. uh, but that also kind of works because of the sort of story that it is of this cold clinical killer who really taunted the press um, and uh, the the sort of obsessive Jake Gyllenhaal character who tries to crack the code and discover the killer and you know you go into this knowing that they never caught the Zodiac killer and they they still make that compelling. They elected him. Oh. <laughs> That's a joke. Twist. That's a joke. Satire. <laughs> I didn't, anyway, number thirty-three. Number thirty-three is Wonder Woman. I was going to say this one too. <laughs> There's a thread running through some of these movies. I've had Helen on set. Was your list just top twenty films from films the last twenty years, years that Helen has been on set of? Percy Jackson Two was number one. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, no, but this was this is a fantastic film because it's a film that for many years they basically said wouldn't work, couldn't be done. Uh, was too weird, too out there. And then Patty Jenkins just did it and did yeah. it really, really well and showed us that scene of, you know, which I was there for, but um, her going up into no man's land, just striding up the, those um, the ladder steps and, and emerging as Wonder Woman and sort of taking her own power. And it is just unbelievably great and so inspiring to watch. And it felt like being there in 1978 and watching Christopher Reeve as Superman again. It just felt magic. What an achievement for her. Like, yeah. And I think people forget, everyone talks now about the success like it was always going to be successful. Nobody believed it was. And mm. I interviewed Patty and she talked a lot about how they still thought it was really risky right up until it came yeah. out. And they couldn't believe the box office. Yeah. They couldn't believe the critical reaction. They couldn't believe that young girls and women, as well as traditional fans, traditional men, fans were actually going... <laughs> To see this movie, because she, what she did is she stayed true to what Wonder Woman was, but also yep. made it feel fresh and exciting and accessible and innovative. And she's a goddess. She is. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I met her once and someone introduced her to me as the monster director. But I thought she was really nice. Hey. Oh. Anyway, speaking of movies that uh, I wasn't set off, it's number 32. <laughs> Avengers assemble oh. fuck that shit it's the Avengers it's the Avengers <laughs> it's the Avengers alright okay yeah none of this assemble nonsense the Avengers um, yeah this is again a movie I think that there was once a time where I, I would have said to you this is my number one genuinely hand on heart guys for me this is probably my number one <laughs> film in the MCU and it, it would have been true of this movie but it has been very much superseded over the last few years and uh, it's still great and it's still, it's still an incredible great juggling act that Joss Whedon pulled off somehow taking all these disparate elements of what was then a, 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 a universe trying to find its feet and how he, how he made it work I have no idea 
Yeah, I mean, even though everything's got so much bigger since then, it still really works. All of the tracking shots through New York at mm-hmm. the end when all mm-hmm. the Avengers are fighting together, uh, amazing. They're properly but spine-tingling. It's the joy of seeing these characters together for the first time. It's the joy of, on the helicarrier at the beginning, watching Steve Rogers introduce himself to Bruce Banner. That sort of thing yeah. really got me. But uh, I think they've they've elevated it to a bigger scope and scale mm-hmm. since in various movies, some of which we've already talked about. Number 31, Amelie. This uh, this was just huge for me when I saw it in the uh, to, in two thousand one. I just spent a year living in Paris, very much not being a manic pixie dream girl. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's just it's a magical sort of like it's a magical kind of fairy tale account of what might happen if you got out of your own head and kind of dared to try to connect with other people. Um, it's not a how-to manual because she is basically a stalker, um, but in a nice way. So while elements of the film haven't aged awfully well, it still kind of works in context because you just have to suspend your disbelief and basically act like it's a dream world and kind yep. of go with it. 23 minutes to do 30 films, starting with God's Own Country. Now, Terry, I know this is one very close to your heart. It is one of the best um, pieces of British cinema, I think, in the last five years. It was remarkable in that sense as well as being an incredible piece of queer cinema. But what I love is that the two characters who were in love or fall in love in this movie, they happen to be same sex. But actually, it's as much about class and it's as much about Brexit. Mm. It's as much about um, this country as it is about the sexuality of those characters. It is tender. It is raw. The first time they have sex in the dark, in on the hillside with the mud, is the sexiest thing I've seen in quite some time. And I'd like to rewatch it right now. Thank you, but not with you people in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you got into that condition in the first place, Terry. <laughs> I mean, too many screenings of God's own country in my house. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what is happening? So, for, for, uh, for the magazine, we uh, we have Francis Lee. We talked to Francis Lee. Who did that? Me. Oh, Terry White. There we go. Number 29, Boyhood, which is the best film of 2014, 2013, 2012, hey, 2011. Okay. 2011. Um, no, but it is, it's an astonishing thing to have not just had the idea to do this and had the notion in your head and thought, oh, that'd be cool, um, but actually to do it and do it well and tell the story and, and make it, you know, a coherent story across 12 years, mm-hmm. uh, I think is is stunning. And I think it's um, it's testament to... to Richard Linklater's uh, ability to mm. just, you know, find something and do it. I think he is a true experimental filmmaker. He's so bold and stuff mm. like that. The high concept stuff and he, uh, the high concept but low budget stuff like yeah. Boyhood filmed over many, many years or the, the Before Trilogy as well. And yeah. this, this new movie he's going to make again where he's going to come back years, to it right? in 20 years time. It's, it's absolutely crazy uh, how he does it. Um, oh, what's his name again? Richard... Link later? No, I think I'll do a link now, Helen. Thanks very much for asking. Number 28 is pure cinema. It's the Irishman. Hello, who the hell is that? <laughs> this is Lord. sort of maximum Scorsese in a way. Mm-hmm. It is uh, peak uh, sort of mobster Scorsese. It's also ruminative. Uh, oh, what about religion? What about the afterlife Scorsese? Um, all together in one with the ultimate gangster cast. When is this ever going to happen again? Never. Um, it's the, also the, <laughs> <laughs> what Terry said. And it's also the the sort of dawn of the streaming era where you've got Martin Scorsese making a huge, huge film on Netflix because the studios wouldn't put the money up for it. From a mm. pure industry point of view, it's going to be fascinating to see the ramifications of that. A better reflection on toxic masculinity and the futility of it all you will not see. Mm. 
I don't know, the Empire Podcast is pretty good. <laughs> Reflection on toxic masculinity every Friday, folks. Don't forget the futility of it all. <laughs> <laughs> Do like and subscribe. Uh, yes, 28 The Irishman. Spoiler alert, this is not the highest placed Martin Scorsese picture on the list. What? No spoilers, but uh, fans of Hugo get excited. Number 27. <laughs> it's another QT movie. It's Kill Bill. Not the superior volume two. No, 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 oh. no. Volume one. I love volume one. I think it's cool. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And still, Oh, Anishi's, you know, march in at the head of the Crazy 88 is one of the great moments. Yes. Oh. That, that Crazy 88 whole set piece is just a remarkably choreographed piece of action. Goes between black and white, goes between colour, mm. the way it's shot, the way it's edited, the choreography. It is absolutely one of the best action sequences of the last... Of the century so far. Hooray. Uh, it is an absolute belter, although not as good as his follow-up. Number 26, Memento, a film that lives long in the memory. So this. these days you get Nolan movies that are filmed on this huge scale and it has ideas that are as big as the filmmaking. This one, it proves that actually all he really needs is that idea. It's just all in the screenplay. It's all in the script. It's so smart. Everything he wanted to go and do is in this film and this gave him the chance to go and make those movies on a bigger blockbuster scale but everything you love about Christopher Nolan is in Memento bingo sounds good to me number 25 apologies in advance it's call me by your name call me call me call me by your name oh yeah and what can we which add is to a that? serious love story <laughs> <laughs> um, ruined quite frankly by my Brilliant theme tune. Uh, yes, call me by your name. Luca Guadagnino's uh, Italy sit. What? <laughs> I'll do it again. <laughs> what is it? Italy. Luca Guadagnino's Italian set romance between uh, Timmy Two Meats, Timothy Chalamet, and Army Hammer. Peach. Fucking hell. <laughs> Steady on. <laughs> what happens if I say apple? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. For those at home, in case I decide to keep this bit in, the arms just come off my chair and I nearly stab myself. With That's actually a health hazard. Someone needs to call somebody. Uh, anyway, just to be your thought of the peach. And they should call off. them by which name? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, number 24. It is probably, I'm guessing, the highest placed musical on the list unless Cats makes a late run. La La Land. Helen? I'm not here for it. <laughs> I mean, this I'm here for. <laughs> what more is that to say? There's a there's a, uh, a wine shop near where my wife and I live called Theatre of Wine. And every time we walk past it, I sing, Theatre of Wine. <laughs> Uh, to the tune of City of Stars, in case you weren't sure. Uh, I love this film. I think it's absolutely tremendous. Just so utterly, heartbreakingly romantic and optimistic and joyful. And, oh, <laughs> this is love. <laughs> Great soundtrack. you got to admit the songs are good. you got to admit the songs are good. Some of the songs are okay. There we go. 23, City of God. This is an incredible movie. This is, you've just never seen anything kind of more visceral and more uh, designed to hit you right in the gut. And 
make you never forget it. It's it's an astonishing film, and Fernando Moraes, I think, did incredible work with these mostly untrained actors, just getting these these performances out of them. Um, yeah, it kind of it kind of haunts you a little bit afterwards. It certainly does. Twenty two, Gladiator. Oh, just fucking love it. I just watched this again the other night. You know, it's still got it. And it's still so quotable as well. Just all of so stupid, but so stupid, but so good. <laughs> Delightful, <laughs> delightfully, willfully stupid. Oh, I just love it. Oh my command, unleash hell, a new world of gods and monsters. He's never um, been better. Yeah. Um, there was a dream that was Rome, you know, and it was a bit like this. Yeah, it's good. It's no kingdom of heaven. No, it isn't. And I genuinely mean that. Oh, Number no. twenty-one, uh, children of men. The director's cut. The director's cut. Children, uh, Kingdom of Heaven. Director's cut. Sure. I should point that sure. out. It's a masterpiece. Number twenty-one. Children of Men. Also a masterpiece. Also a masterpiece. Yes. Alfonso Cuarón doing his thing again. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Number twenty. We're in the home stretch now. Interstellar. Is that Nolan fella again with his yeah. high concepts and his high flute and sci-fi? This <sighs> is really. Oh no! This is emotional Nolan. <laughs> he is. He is generally quite a cold unemotional filmmaker and this one has so much emotional punch for me I'm gonna I, uh, I think Helen and I will go full Thor in three <laughs> two one emotional <laughs> it does it does the, the the sequence where he watches back the, the tapes having oh, yes. been on the planet and yeah. he sees his yeah. kids grow up in the space of a couple of minutes when he'd been on a planet for an hour. This is Nolan, there's time. There's time <laughs> things going on. Um, him having to blast off and leave his daughter behind. It's, I know it's bullshit, but... The, the bad guy's the, called man, for God's sake. <laughs> the the um, trans-dimensional bookcase of love, it works for me on an emotional level. I don't. Ha- <laughs> it doesn't have to make actual sense because it made emotional I, sense. I have less problems with that, although I have some problems with that, but uh, Anne Hathaway's speech about love being the real science here it can fuck off I hate it so much but there's great stuff in it and incredible effect maybe Anne Hathaway's uh, speech about love being the real magic here was the true magic inside us all along (laughs) I like it more than another Christopher Nolan film that we haven't got to yet what okay so let's get spoiler (laughs) insomnia (laughs) number 19 is I think the highest placing Martin Scorsese movie on Mm. the list it is The Wolf of Wall Street I think it's a great movie and I'll tell you why because I think it's incredibly moral underneath all of the you know apparent uh, joyous excess and uh, reveling in bad behaviour I think there is a really really strong condemnatory thread to this and I loved it for that and who saw Scorsese doing this in his eighth decade yeah this is yeah that's mad phenomenal the pace of this movie and I take back what I said earlier about Dead Man's Shoes being the best drug scene in movies because there may be something of comp- of competition with this film. Yes, the, the Quaaludes sequence the Quaaludes, specifically. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Number 18 is a pretty good drug movie, I'm guessing <laughs> as well. Once again, having taken nothing stronger than a, a Pro Plus, uh, it's Inside Out. This, to me, is the smartest film of the century. And I'll tell you why. It is two completely separate films that happen on the same screen at the same time kids are watching a brightly coloured film about some cartoon characters going on a journey and adults are watching an incredibly insightful and really psychologically true as far as you know, they could um, insight into what it means to suffer from depression. That is 
um, fucking believable the, the it's sheer emotional sheer intelli- intelligence. Sure, also emotional of, intelligence. Of the <laughs> <laughs> but the, the sheer emotional intelligence of having this film that says to kids, it's okay and actually quite necessary to be sad, and you should embrace that. And yeah. being being human is that is a whole part of it. I think is an it's incredible. Thing. And, and like so, the, the depiction of of depression mm. as it's not sadness being in charge; it's your board shutting down entirely. Mm. You know that is. That's heavy, heavy stuff. This is an incredible film. What a movie. What a movie. Also, what a movie. Number 17. I believe this was my movie of 2001, the year I joined Empire, folks. Oh, Christ, I'm old. It's Mulholland Drive, or Mulholland Drur, if you wish. Terry, where do you stand in this when you see... Once again, you're making a nonplussed, <laughs> I hate this film face. Are you going, silencio? Me and Nick DeSemlian, um had some disagreements over this film. <laughs> <laughs> Succinct. Okay. Yep. I will accept that. Chris, uh, what do you think? I think it's a tremendous film. Uh, is it my favourite David Lynch film, Helen? No, it isn't. Thank you for asking. It's probably Blue Velvet, but it's a wonderful, wonderful piece of filmmaking. The uh, the the as Nick says in this piece here, the dumpster troll. I think that lives in people's minds, but also Naomi Watts' this incredible performance. Yes, Silencio as well. It's just uh, deeply weird. Uh, but uh, it's David Lynch what do you expect but yeah really really stylish loved it loved it loved it (laughs) I wasn't going to mention the lesbians Terry Uh, hot empire fact Uh, one of my very first interviews at empire was Naomi Watts on the back of this movie and I had to ask her because you know we were a bit more laddish back in the day and I was told Mm -hmm. to ask her about the scene where she takes care of herself I'm sure you were and I didn't know how to phrase it so what did you say I passed out (laughs) (laughs) Even now I'm a bit lightheaded. <laughs> Number 16 is a Spider-Man. The- Homecoming. No, nope. Spider-Man. Far from home. No, nope. all those movies are deserving, but it is actually the amazing Spider-Man 2 that go, nope. no, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. There you go, yes. finally. It's amazing. It created a whole new style of animation yeah. in mainstream sort of Hollywood filmmaking, probably for the first time since Toy Story. And everything else and everything else mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. fact that there's still a way to tell a superhero origin story that isn't shit um, in fact quite the opposite <laughs> it's like it's an incredible story and I think that Miles Morales is um, makes such a good uh, case for himself as a character you know he doesn't have to have dead parents in order to be a great superhero he doesn't have he to he should have. have though he should kill his no, parents no you absolutely shouldn't no? you monster okay. and and just all the, the other Spider-Mans and the animation styles and Oh my God, it's so good. It's so dense. It's so layered. It's got so much emotion to it and so much artistry and I just love it. <laughs> it is an absolutely phenomenal movie. And for the magazine, we uh, shot with a camera. The film's co-director, Peter Ramsey, and interviewed him about the film as well. And cannot wait for the sequel to see what they do. Those rascals, including Lord and Miller, uh, they do, do once again and how they rewrite the rule book on animation. Um, and speaking of animation... At number 15, the highest placed animated movie on the list is Spirited Away. Perfect. Yeah, it wouldn't be my personal Ghibli pick on my list. I had The Wind Rises, which I think mm. is a superior film. But this is the film that... Oh, oh my God, I sounded so wanky. That was so James Dyer. I'm so sorry. I sounded terrible there. But, you are James Dyer's oh, child. I've been <laughs> hanging around with him for too long. Um, but this is the film that brought anime to the mainstream it's like the ultimate crossover film and it's so inherently Japanese every single thing about it it's not watered down at all and I think that is why it became such a huge hit because it felt so distinct and so different to for especially for western audiences who had grown up on Disney this is Mm -hmm. something else entirely yeah it's magic number 14 Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind I don't know why I did it in the weird accent but there you go (laughs) 
this this for me is um, all about originality, which is how do you tell? Like everybody's broken up with somebody, everyone's gone out with somebody's shit. Everyone's thought, oh my god, if only I could like get rid of that person from my brain because they blight every single waking, Have sleeping, you been dreaming. To my wife? <laughs> it's such it's such a kind of um, uh, shared concept, but it's done with such charm and ingenuity. Um, Charlie Kaufman, I think the screenplay is phenomenal. Um, yeah, I still love this. Love it. Yarp. <laughs> number to quote Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Number thirteen. I love this film. Whiplash. Yeah, this is absolutely incredible. This might be my favourite film of the decade. Whoa. Um, it is a basically a horror movie about toxic masculinity. That's all, also like an incredibly weirdly exciting jazz movie. When have you? When has anyone ever said that? Almost never. A weirdly <laughs> exciting jazz movie. But yeah, it's oh, jazz, jazz. The 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 um, oh god, now I'm going to have to say the word climax. The climax of this <laughs> is one of the most astonishing things I've ever yeah. seen. The final ten minutes is absolutely incredible. I remember seeing that and stumbling out of the cinema and genuinely being speechless for about fifteen minutes afterwards because my brain was just blown yeah. by the whole film. It's tremendous, and uh, that song at the end, Caravan, which is nine minutes long and has about four or five minute drum solo in the middle of it uh, I remember when Terry first joined Empire I put it on in the office and it lasted about 30 seconds of that <laughs> drum solo before it's never been put on the uh, the office stereo since I love this film uh, it's produced by Jason Blum of Blumhouse Productions he of the 5 million dollar horror franchise and Empire uh, and that feels weird and incongruous at first until you realise that it actually is a horror film it is a horror film in which uh, Fletcher played of course by J.K. Simmons is the masked maniac who is torturing our hero played by Miles Teller it's a tremendous 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 film as indeed is pretty much everything in the top 10 <laughs> uh, number 12 No Country for Old Men I, I mean Coen Brothers again so I'm, I'm here for it um, this is uh, Javier Bardem's least sexy role mm. uh, ever um, still by, would though right some distance Honestly, yes. no. Really? Wow. Oh, yeah. You go there. I'll take... You'd be your special friend, though. I'll have Josh Brolin instead. Um, but no, great, great, um, great cast. Give uh, him some overall. sugar, baby. Oh, come on. <laughs> no. Great, great cast. Um, we haven't even mentioned Tommy Lee Jones. And uh, just that real sense of a way of life ending and, and futility and nihilism, which are not usually things I'm into, but I feel like this one kind of justifies them. This one's more about the tragic mistakes that people make and not about life in itself always being meaningless. Absolutely. Number 11, There Will Be Blood. Oh, what a staggering what a film. What a crazy yeah. sort of covered in oil. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis scrabbling around in the dirt. Fire, people being bludgeoned to death with with bowling pins. Bowling pins. You were describing and what Terry's first day at the office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and every day since. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a glorious, glorious film, isn't it? Uh, we're into the top ten. We Bring don't have it. a lot of time because Ben has to run to a screening. No, Screw I'm it, finally ben. seeing Parasite. Screw it. Screw it. You can catch up with it again. He has to go. That's fair. Come on. You can catch up with it another Chris. time. Anyway, number ten, Lost in Translation. Lovely film. This may have been the film I was throwing shade at a few, <laughs> a few minutes ago. It's a fine film. Mm. It's a film. It's a film. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that. It is... It's a film powered by by star power, I think, mm. with Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson both on form brilliantly mm -hmm. so, and and Sofia Coppola setting that mood 
perfectly. Yes, let's go with that. Uh, Sophia Coppola, in fact, is interviewed for the magazine and she talks about uh, her incredible film from 2003. Number nine, my boy Guillermo, Pan's Labyrinth, the highest ranked foreign language movie on the list. uh, And this is an absolute belter. I think it's his masterpiece. I don't think many people would disagree with that. I would not disagree. I think I think it's a, a brilliant uh, fairy tale of a kind that he loves. I think it's a brilliant monster movie of the kind that he loves. Uh, and I think it's also a movie of something to say, with something to say about growing up, about facing darkness, about courage, um, about fighting for what we love. Um, and, you know, sometimes losing. I think it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Next up is the highest placed horror film on the list. It is Get Out, Get In. I mean, I think this was one nobody genuinely saw coming. I remember Team Empire going to a, a presentation from the studio that had this, and we... There, I remember this, There yeah. was a bit of a, what the fuck is happening, yep. when we saw a clip from this. And I think it is extraordinary debut from mm. Jordan Peele as writer-director. As a social satire, it's funny. As a comedy, it's genuinely terrifying. As a horror, as made an instant star out of Daniel Kaluuya. How it skewers liberal America... Um, in such a light way in many respects, but it's just on one of the biggest surprises and I think one of the most original films yeah. we've seen in years. Yeah, it's 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 a stunning, stunning movie and so sharp. And I mean, keeps shocking you right up mm. until the end mm-hmm. when, I won't say too much, when that car pulls up at the end <laughs> and you're like, oh no, and then I know that how person this gets out. Yeah, mm. and you know, so it like it, it really doesn't pull Which, its punches. of it's course, is originally how it was going to end. I yeah. know. Mm. Uh, stunning, stunning film. Love it. Yep, great stuff. Jordan Peele. Uh, one of my great joys is occasionally just watching Key and Peele sketches oh, yeah. on Comedy Central. And even though some of them are really, really clever about being really, really stupid, every now and again you can see the guy who made Get Out mm-hmm. in the unexpected twists of darkness that you will get in some of the uh, the more off-the-wall Key and Peele sketches. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Oh, we should say quickly, the Sunken Place sequence, I think, is one of the greatest sequences yeah. in yeah. horror yeah. from the last 20 absolutely. years. Absolutely mm-hmm. extraordinary. Also, how do you make a teacup that scary? <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> Mad skills. I, just, I love the end as well. I love the catharsis of the mm-hmm. end. I just, yeah, anyway, we don't want to get too much into spoilers uh, because one thing we're not doing here on this podcast is spoiling things. Uh, number seven is Avengers Infinity War. You know, that movie that ends with Thanos clicking his fingers after having procured all six Infinity Stones and then making half the, you know, oh, fuck. Anyway, <laughs> hand and heart, genuinely this time, <laughs> hand and heart, this is probably my favourite movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hell's Bells, what do you think? It's a stunning movie. I mean, it's not my favourite, but I think it's stunning. It's possibly the best. Um, I think uh, I didn't expect Thanos to be a villain that I thought was good. I did not expect him to be that James good. James hasn't just barreled in <laughs> yeah. the door going, oh, Thanos was right, Thanos in the point. Uh, yeah, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. He really isn't. Team he Thanos. No, <laughs> absolutely not. However, I think he's a great villain and I think that they establish him so fast in those opening scenes that, you know, he's taken down Thor. Here's the Hulk. We're all going to be safe. Oh, no, we're not. He's stronger than the Hulk. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, dear. Um, I mean, this movie could have gone amazing. wrong in a million, a million or 40 ways. million, 605 to be precise, <laughs> uh, ways. And the fact that it didn't, and it's really interesting because it is a propulsive thriller mm-hmm. right from frame one. It sets it, out, it sets the stall out in a really interesting way. It's not necessarily about the ensemble, about the Avengers in, in that sort of 
in in that way that the first movie was about getting them together very yeah. very slowly. It's about putting them back on the, rocking them back on their heels uh, with this incredible villain and uh, and not letting up for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it is wonderful. Yeah, the ultimate super villain movie we've called it here. Also the ultimate superhero movie. Next up, number six, it's David Fincher's The Social Network. Now, Benny Boy, I know that this was pretty high on your list, right? It was very high. It was my number one. Can't get much higher than that. It doesn't get higher than that. I think this film is absolutely astonishing. And I think a few people but Aaron Sorkin would have seen the story of the creation of Facebook and seen like a classical tragedy in there. And it's a none more contemporary film that also feels entirely classical that was made at a time when, yes, Facebook was up and running. It was 2010. Everyone was like actually using Facebook back then and not just mums and it wasn't just Minions memes. But everything that Facebook has come to be emblematic of in recent years, the cultural impact that Facebook has is still evolving and still mm. being felt. But it's almost like this film kind of predicted that. Like the, the coldness of Jesse Eisenberg's um, Mark Zuckerberg. Of course, that is the guy who is going to sell your data to Cambridge Analytica because he's the guy who <laughs> sold everything that he, he, he cut off all of his friendships yep. in order to get more money. And th- that beautiful irony that he's the guy who created this digital tool that connected the world and also sacrifices only real friendships to get there. It's amazing. It's amazing stuff. The score, the Trent Reznor and Atticus mm-hmm. Ross score mm-hmm. is on another level. It's really propulsive and pacey film. It's really genuinely entertaining to watch. It's got the kind of cool darkness of uh, what David Fincher does. It really suits his style. I love every single thing about this film. I think it's super, super smart. And it knows it's very smart, but it's allowed to know that it's very smart because it is very smart. It's an Aaron Sorkin movie in, in every way, shape, <laughs> or form. Um, yeah, great, great film. All right, Ben has uh, Ben has bared his soul about the social network, and I suspect Terry might like to bear her soul as well about our number five movie, Barry Jenkins' Oscar-winning Moonlight. Mm. This is just the closest you come in movies to pure poetry. Every shot, every yeah. scene, what it says about class, race, and sexuality in America. It's so dreamlike, dreamy. It's just a absolutely stunning piece of work. Um, and to get see actually get the recognition it deserves at the time mm. is something we're not really used to. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think it will go down as a modern classic without a question of a doubt. It's, a, it's astonishing. It's still astonishing to me that this won the Oscar. And I'm yeah. s- it still delights me that this won the Oscar. Obviously, me in particular, because I don't like La La Land. But, but also, like, it just... <laughs> It, this kind of film doesn't win and and for something as artistic and as beautiful and as thoughtful and internal as this to win, something that says so much about loneliness as well mm. and, and desire for any kind of connection, for that to win I think is really powerful and I'm so pleased that it did. Um, and yeah, you're right, I think it's an instant classic, just an amazing film. Lovely, lovely film. So you think it really struck a chord then with not just the the critics, but the the readers as well, because Mm. it's such a small film. What's interesting here about the top 10 is that it's not necessarily that filled with bombast. Infinity War really stands out amongst the the films I've talked about so far. But Lost in Translation, (laughs) 
is a very small film. Uh, Get Out is a small film. Pan's Labyrinth is a you yeah. know high concept movie, fantasy movie, but mm. still very very small in scope. And Moonlight as well. Yeah, I'd say it's such an intimate drama. Obviously, the sequence in the beach, but, but these, the these do stick with us. You know, yeah. cinema's yeah. an empathy machine. These these are the films that. And I make do us think feel. it's still why things like the Oscars are important because I think having that platform for a film like yeah. Moonlight will introduce it to a whole raft of people who may have gone and seen La La Land and chosen not to see Moonlight. And yeah. actually, it getting that platform means I think it comes out to a wider audience who maybe wouldn't have discovered it and therefore put it on their top 10, yeah. 20, 100 lists. Absolutely. Uh, mind you, we're not short of bombast when it comes <laughs> to the... There's a bit more to come, Chris. The final yeah. four films on the list. <laughs> Just a bit uh, of bombast. The fourth film on the list, and no spoiler to say, not the final Christopher Nolan film on the list. I think he's the director with the most films on the list. That's that correct. Every movie he made in the last two decades, bar Insomnia, yep. is wow. on this list. That's correct. Wow. Because Suck it, Insomnia. Yeah, take that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad film. Martin Donovan stands are furious. Uh, number four, Inception. Inception. No. I mean... Yeah, you have to you have to think that um, you know when he put, when he went into Warner Brothers, even with his reputation, even with his successes behind him, and says, "I've got this idea for a thriller set in the architecture of the mind," mm-hmm. that somebody went frantically pressing the button. <laughs> yeah. the security, oh security, God. where the hell? Um, so, fair play to him for getting them to go for it. I I, I have always suspected it was a basically, "I'll do this for you." In ret- yeah, I'll do re- Dark Knight Rises for you if you let me do this first. Um, I've personally always believed that to be the case, based on absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> but but this has uh, yeah, I mean yeah, pretty much pretty much um, but, really really based on nothing. In, but in terms of just visual style, I think this is wonderful. Uh, I don't love everything about it, but in terms just the imagery in it is astonishing. Okay. I think it actually probably worked the other way around in that he wanted to make this movie but didn't have the cachet to make it until he made The Dark Knight, which put him on the the map in a way that Batman begins. Mm. Mm. And certainly The Prestige, which didn't do that well, the box office. No, I agree. Did. Um, Terry, what do you think about Inception? Inception. I greatly admire Inception. Okay. Number three. (laughs) (laughs) The Dark Knight. I greatly no. <laughs> this is a fucking fantastic film. This is the, it, it, yeah. this is probably I don't know. It's either the best or the second best movie featuring the Joker on this list. I can't decide oh which one it is. Oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! That's a tricky oh boy! One. Oh boy! Um, I think it's uh, a great film. Um, I don't think its plot makes a lick of sense. Actually, if you look really closely, <laughs> no. Like um, what? But what you is don't Joker care. Doing? Why is, is Gordon that what you're doing? after? I mean, why does Gordon do... It doesn't matter. Uh, It doesn't matter because Heath Ledger is so monumentally Mm. astonishing as the Joker. Um, The definitive performance, you might say. The very best of the best. Um, But that's right, I went... But he's he's amazing in this film and and he gives Batman something to really work against, which works because we've had Batman Begins before, because we've had that Bruce Wayne movie. So suddenly then when you put these two forces against each other, it works Mm -hmm. better than I think it ever had before. Um, And yeah, and some of those images, again, just stick with you. The truck flip, you know, uh, the, the, what do we call the bat bike thing? Bat pod. Bat pod, the bat pod. I mean, it's, it's an amazing film. Yeah. Do you think he does podcasts on that bad pod? Probably. It probably does. Uh, I've just realised I haven't done a hot Empire fact for a while. I mean, you don't feel hmm. obliged. 
I was on set of Infinity War. Have I mentioned that, Helen? Have I mentioned... I don't know if I... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that, was a, that was a look. Oh, God. Uh, there must be a hot fact about the Dark Knight. Uh, no. Anyway, number two, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. There's no suspense here. It's the only one left. The Fellowship of the Ring. The best one. Yeah. yeah I would say so. I, I mean, I've, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but sitting in the cinema, it was a midnight screening opening day. This was well before I was a film journalist um, in Houston, Texas. Uh, with a bunch of very lovely weirdos I'd met in the queue. Um, sitting in the cinema waiting for this to start was one of the most tense experiences of mm. my life. And within literally 30 seconds of you know hearing Kate Blanchett's voice, realising that they hadn't fucked it up, within 30 seconds, you knew they hadn't fucked it up, um, was one of the greatest rushes in, in cinema in my life. And then by the time you got to The Minds of Moria at the end of this movie or towards the end of this movie, that again, was just an incredible rush. That was like portals before portals because you're suddenly like, not only have they not fucked it up, they have actively nailed it. This is amazing. Oh my God. This this book meant so much to me growing up. I read it so many times and to see it done right was was just euphoric. Terry? You know, I'm not asking about Lord of the Rings. I greatly admire the Lord of the Rings. I greatly admire the Lord of the Rings. The every every the single ring. ring. <laughs> I love those. I love those fucking rings. I love each and every ring. Those little hobbits, oh, with the rings and the Lord of them. So good. And when they form a fellowship of the ring. Oh my Jesus. God, you guys. I love it. <laughs> uh, it is a cracker. Um, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring at number two, which means that there is a film, obviously, at number one. But what is that film of the last 20 years, the two decades of the 21st century so far? What is the film that we at Empire and you, the Empire readers, have come together to vote as your number one? Did Six Underground make a late <laughs> play? I hope not. <laughs> if, if it did, I'm burning the place down. <laughs> Has Joker appeared in a list twice? Because if so, then Helen's burning the place down twice. Twice. <laughs> no. None of those things are true. Instead, the number one movie of the 21st century so far is George Miller's Happy Feet 2. <laughs> 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 Fucking penguins. Just a joke. It's Mad Max Fury Road, his 2015 action masterpiece. Yeah. It, I was really excited to see this top of the list because I think there are a few films that actually are such testament to a purity of vision. Some may say insanity, <laughs> but it is a pure, unbridled, unfiltered kind of filmmaker's vision wrought real. Mm -hmm. And it's absolute insanity from the first moment. The action, every moment of action, which is it's got something like 34 films worth of action in the one film, probably in the first like 35 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And it's also kind of accidentally feminist with Furiosa just being this. And you get the sense that it is kind of accidental. But for me, it's her movie, not Tom Hardy's movie. Mm. And yep. it is a spectacular piece of filmmaking. Yeah. It really is. He was in his 70s when he made this. He hadn't made a film like this since Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which was, by the time this movie came out, 30 years before Jeez. that. And I know, you know, I interviewed George Miller and wrote a big piece about this movie and about his attempts to get this movie made over the years. He had tried in 1997. He tried in the early 2000s, a couple of times with Mel Gibson on board. 
And then he got it eventually off the ground uh, around about 2011, 2012 with Tom Hardy and uh, Charlize Theron in a role. But what's interesting is how much the movie didn't change over that time. Yeah. Uh, how much he stuck to his vision, which which included Furiosa mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, had that, that feminist subtext to it all the way through as well. Um, and it's just, an, it's an incredible achievement. Yeah. Uh, it's like Scorsese making The Wolf of Wall Street. You cannot believe that this movie has the, it's made by a man who has this much energy and this much vitality in his eighth decade. It's yeah. an astonishing film. And it's also just the filmmaking grammar of it is so clear and so distinct. You always know what's going on. You always know who's who. Mostly because the bad guys are hideous and the good guys aren't. <laughs> um, but you, you just... You f- you follow it instantly. You're so, it's so quick moving that if any of that was was even slightly off, if there was just a hair less precision, then it would be a fucking six underground type mess. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. yet it is it's the furthest thing from that. I mean, what what was fascinating to me was in the months after this came out, anytime any other director or filmmaker in Hollywood was interviewed, they all raved about just this movie, yep. nothing mm-hmm. else, just yep. this one. And every other director, it seemed in the canon was just like how the fuck did he do that Absolutely. oh my mm. god when I went to Cardiff to interview Gareth Evans for this uh, he said what's number one and I said Mad Max Fury Road and I'm interviewing George Miller tomorrow or something and he was like oh my god just tell him how much I love that film it's just yeah. absolutely incredible you know and it, you get that an awful lot and it is incredible and when you I've, I've had the great fortune to interview George <laughs> pretty much specifically about this movie a number of times over the years and the things that he has done the things that he and his collaborators in the movie John Seal the DP mm-hmm. Margaret Sixel uh, his partner in real life but also his editor on this they came up with a they basically redefined or or pushed action filmmaking grammar mm-hmm. and that they centred everything in the middle of the frame this meticulously framed so that your eye doesn't have to dark have to around the screen mm-hmm. doesn't have to do any work unlike say Michael Bay with Six Underground where you don't know what the hell to look at next uh, this is so meticulously planned and so meticulously prepared and laid out. Uh, it is beautiful, absolutely beautiful piece of filmmaking, and uh, I, I deserve it. Not, you know, I love the movie to bits. It's not my favorite movie mm-hmm. of the twenty first century so far, but it is an absolutely deserved winner for me. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think in terms of just just filmmaking oomph, I think the, these top three or four actually are all. Worthy, yeah. Um, because just for the for the sheer heft of them, the sheer influence of them, the sheer weight of them on everything that's come since, um, that there's nothing like them. And yeah, there's there's layers of CG, there's lashings of CG. Oh, there are in, loads, yeah. Especially you know, Fellowship of the Ring and Inception, of course. And you know, people talk about Fury Road being a movie that issues CG, and it absolutely doesn't. There's CG all over the oh, movie. They couldn't it, have made yeah. it without CG, but. Lat, The Dark Knight, elements of The Fellowship of the Ring, if you compare the way that Jackson made The Fellowship of the Ring to the way he made The Hobbit films, for example, mm-hmm. that, that emphasis on prosthetics and practical sets and being on location, th- that's tremendous. And Nolan, for me, is also a very, very much nuts and bolts filmmaker as well. Well, but, also done to Inception and stuff as well. I mean, I, you know you know me, I'm, a, I'm very much a sort of CG fangirl in a lot of ways. I think the VFX gets a bad name because people only talk about it when it's badly mm-hmm. done. Um, and there is great, astonishing VFX works in, in all those films. And I think what sets them apart is not just, um, I think, yeah, there's incredible stunt work and, and incredible practical effects as well. But it's the fact of every piece working together perfectly, everybody knowing what they're doing, everybody listening to each other collaboratively. It's not just that these are great auteurs, but I think what makes them great is that they talk to their teams, they get the best teams around them. 
they work closely with them to make sure everybody knows what to do. And I think that is what has set them apart. And Terry, as the editor-in-chief of Empire, I'm going to give you the final word on the, on the number one film on the list and the list itself. The list is life. <laughs> I th- the list, I think, is really exciting because I think it shows the evolution of cinema properly over the last 20 years. We have undergone some seismic changes in terms of the types of movies we're watching, the way they're made and the way they're shown. And what you see in the list is a kind of a recognition of that. But as Helen said, what is fundamentally at the heart of a fantastic movie that belongs to be in this list and high in this list is the craft of filmmaking. And however our world changes, and it will continue to change a pace in the next 20 years and the next 80 years, as the rest of the century unfolds, what is at the heart of these films is a love and a passion for the craft Mm. of committing these images to cinema. And I think that is really the defining thread that runs throughout the entire thing. Mm. With 2020 hindsight, if you will, (laughs) it's been a good couple of decades. It has. Oh, did you write that down? That's, that, <laughs> I did. That's pretty damn good. Look, no hands. Uh, who directed Before Sunset? Richard? No. Uh, and, <laughs> but, of course, one of the drawbacks of having a top 100 list means that you can't cram every movie that we love onto that list. Uh, something has to come at 101. Mm. Uh, so there have to be omissions. So what's the one film that you think should have made the list but didn't? Ben. Um, so my head says The Last Jedi because I think it's better than The Force Awakens. I love that film. But the one that my heart really sings out for is Your Name, which is Makoto oh. Shinkei's anime film, which is the thing in in recent years at the most has just absolutely made my heart pop. Um, and maybe by the time you listen to this, his new film Weathering With You might still be in the cinemas. For me, it has nothing on on your name, which is just a stunning... It's a really, really charming body swap comedy uh, about uh, uh, t- two teenagers in Japan. One of them lives in Tokyo. One of them lives in uh, out in the sticks in rural Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and they start body swapping. It's really charming. And then things happen. <laughs> and I don't want to say what that is because I remember being so sideswiped yeah. when I saw it in the cinema. If you've never seen it, really, please, please do seek it out. It's one of the it's one of my favorite films of all time um and there's an amazing uh, soundtrack by this really cringingly named <laughs> japanese band called radwimps but it's beautiful the piano melodies in it are amazing people talk about uh, makoto shinkei potentially being the next Hayao miyazaki i think they have very very different styles and they come from very different places but in the way that um he's an anime filmmaker whose work really connects the world over i think he genuinely could be you bloody cheat. I asked you for one omission, you gave me two. That's yes. ridiculous. Uh, next up, Terry. Death Proof. <laughs> what? So the film that Quentin Tarantino calls his worst film, uh-huh. I think he can't actually watch it um, back. I love Death Proof. Obviously envisaged as a two-parter, well, or a one-parter, split into two. Is that a two-parter? That's a two-parter. Grindhouse with Planet Terror by Robert Rodriguez and they collaborated very closely across both of these pieces. I love it. The sleazy exploitation riff, Kurt Russell at his weird finest. Um, The stunt Zoe Bell as the kind Mm. of heroine of the piece in this. She's extraordinary. Um, And actually the stunts and the car chasers are phenomenal. 
And when you go and see it, the pictures, what I love is that they still show the trailers that were actually kind of built with this film, including Edgar Wright's Don't, yeah. which is, <laughs> which I still to this day would really like Edgar to make that film. If you're listening, Edgar, please make that film. And I, that it's obviously kind of a very particular preference in terms of how it's iterated stylistically. But this ticks all the boxes for me, and I've probably seen it about 34 times. <laughs> I don't doubt you. I really don't. I am the person propping this up at the Prince Charles, probably. Yeah. When Terry goes all in in the movie, she goes all in <laughs> to almost obsessive levels. No, in fact, to obsessive levels. Yeah, almost. Thank you for the almost. I know. I was trying to qualify. I was trying to, I was trying to paint a positive picture of you there, but uh, it's all gone horribly <laughs> wrong. Um, Helen. What's your omission? Do you know what? When I was thinking about this earlier, the one that came to mind, and I'm not necessarily saying this is the coolest answer. Um, I'd like mine. Uh, yeah, well, yours was the coolest answer. My answer was Lilo and Stitch is the one that came to mind. Um, I don't know why. I just love it. I think it's uh, completely charming and adorable and um, and a really beautiful piece of Disney uh, hand-drawn animation right before they closed down the hand-drawn animation studio and got rid of pretty much everything they made they knew it. they couldn't better it. Well, I mean, arguably, yes. Um, other films from my list that were, were not included in the top oh, 100. Here we go. Here's, a, yeah. here's, here's someone having their cake and eating it too. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Persepolis uh, didn't get in there. Bolbert, Leave No Trace, I thought was amazing. Uh, and The Guard is the other one. The Guard? The Guard. Really? Yeah. Love a bit of The Guard. Interesting. Huh. Okay. Uh Surprisingly, my list wasn't just 20 films from the MCU. It was <laughs> fucking close. <laughs> but it wasn't 20 films from the MCU. Hang on. Iron Man 3 wasn't Iron Man there. 3 is not on the list. I'm furious about that, but I'm trying to keep it in, you know, and oh. be professional about this. Yeah, uh, and also uh, Thor Ragnarok didn't make mm. the list, and I wow. thought it might have made the list. Um, you know why? Because but... Cap's the best. <laughs> <laughs> and yet his first and uh, inferior outing didn't make the list, did it, Helen? But anyway. Well, uh, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> there are films that I kind of have as comfort blankets that I, I revisit every single year. Uh, and one of them made the list, which was Michael Clayton. I just think it's just huh. tremendous, tremendous film. Um the other ones, uh, I'm going. Oh, fuck it, I'm going to have my cake and eat it too. I'm the host, uh, Michael uh, Michael Clayton, Margin Call, which I think is huh. really well written, really well uh, acted film. Mississippi Grind is another mm. film I'd like to revisit every single mm. year, and I'm a little bit evangelical about Ryan Reynolds, Ben Mendelsohn gambling movie, uh, directed by Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck, directors of Captain Marvel, also not of this list, but. I'm going to go Edge of Tomorrow. That's another one. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout wasn't on the list. No, oh, that's a good that's a good point. It was not on the list. Yeah, the readers must have had it at number one hundred and one. Only explanation. Uh, I'm a big comedy guy. I love comedy. I think comedy is overlooked quite often, certainly in terms of awards and usually in terms of lists like this. And I imagine if you went back and listened to the uh, to the whole podcast and looked at the list, probably the highest ranking comedy is quite low in the list. Uh, a lot of Edgar Wright movies and that sort of thing. So, comedies, hot rod. Dodgeball. Whiskey. Whiskey. Cool beans. <laughs> great, great films. Um, but it's a tie for me. I'm going I'm to cop out and do a tie. Oh, God. Anchorman. Oh. Which, for my money, is the funniest film of the last two decades and possibly the funniest film since The Naked Gun. Uh, and it is an absolute delight. Uh, Step Brothers as well. And <laughs> But Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. 
course it is. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. The first collaboration between Shane Black and Robert Downey Jr. Uh, was the movie that, if you want to go back to slightly indoors moments in Hollywood history, is the movie that uh, allowed John Favreau to convince Kevin Feige and the hierarchy at Marvel Studios, as it was back then, uh, Marvel Entertainment as it was back then, to uh, to cast him as Tony Stark in Iron Man. But it is a wonderful film. It's a glorious shaggy dog story. Uh, if you're a fan of the nice guys, for example, and you haven't seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, go back. That's the urtext of Shane Black in so, so many ways. Uh, so many of his thematic preoccupations. The dialogue is on point and really, really funny. And uh, the double act between uh, Downey as uh, Harry Lockhart and <laughs> Val Kilmer as Gay Perry uh, is just glorious. It's as good as these things get. It's one of those movies that when I saw it in Cannes, I came out of the screening and I really wanted to queue again to see it mm. immediately. And there's no greater recommendation for me. So yes, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang should be on this list. And why isn't it, you motherfuckers? Lovely. What a lovely note to end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that bombshell, a <laughs> good note on which to end. Hope you've enjoyed a rundown of the greatest movies of the 21st century. Brackets so far. This is our part of the podcast. The next podcast dedicated to the greatest movies of the 21st century brackets so far will feature some of you guys, the listeners. Yes, that's right. The lunatics are taking over the asylum and I may not survive this. But uh, keep in peel for that one. It should be a lot of fun. I'm going to station myself next to the door because <laughs> here I can't make it to the door without, you know. But anyway, it should be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll hear what you guys think of the list and what you would put down as your number 101. But anyway, until then, until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again, the regular podcast is, of course, available every single Friday as well. Do like and subscribe if you haven't already. But until then, it is goodbye. From Benny Boy, Benny Blanco from the Bronx. Goodbye. Ben Travis. It is goodbye. From Helen O'Hara. Totally. It is goodbye. From Terry White. Goodbye. <laughs> it's a very demure introduction and ending. I'm ending as I began. <laughs> fair point, fair point. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to watch... <laughs> the arm! The arm did to kill me again! It's just you're doing O'Hara. That's why I didn't want to sit in that seat. It's broken. Well, that's that then. Hope you've enjoyed it. Bye! Bye! <laughs>